Hi and welcome to this week's Three Legs Four Wheels F1 podcast. It's Paul here with Sean, Chris, and our special guest joining us for our three hundredth show is Statman. <laughs> with a bit of a lag. Hi, Sean. How's things? Well, it wasn't a lag. I was just expecting you to say something else, and then you didn't. I thought, oh, is that me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's about as flawless as our intro normally goes, so... Yeah, I think I even got Chris saying something at the beginning of it. Uh, it's uh, 300 shows, you'd think we'd have learnt by now, but uh, probably not. Um, thank you for joining us on this one. I think you were with us on show 100 and possibly show 200 as well. This this is becoming a regular thing. Well, as we discussed after Belgium, that was a half-point rate, so I think this is only the 299 and a half <laughs> we did half a show with you once from the Canadian Grand Prix paddock, so that's the other half. Is that right? I yeah. don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the sort of thing I would have done. Because um, I, 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 I never give anything less than half best. <laughs> you're sure you're not from Yorkshire? <laughs> so that was um, that was an interesting Italian Grand Prix that we had this weekend. It was, and it didn't involve an awful lot of passing. That was the funny thing. It was a race that was... It, it, it was a memorable race because of the pace of McLaren. And, and, and as I said throughout the Grand Prix as it was happening, the McLarens are they're fast enough to be... You know, they're inconveniently fast. They're, they're not fast enough to win this race if passing was possible. But now they've got track position. They're, they're fast enough that they can keep everybody behind them. And that was key. And and then, of course, in the only pit stop cycle that you ever get in a, at a Monza race, because it's always a one-stopper, um, those two pillocks trying to win the World Championship collided with each other again. So that really cleared the path for them. I mean, it was, it was just unfortunate that both both Red Bull and Mercedes had bad pit stops. And well, it, the, dele- for, the delay caused what happened them, to happen. Unfortunate for them, yes. Uh, very fortunate for the boys down at uh, Woking or wherever, wherever the McLaren Technology Centre is these days. It's, um, it's, still, it's still in Woking. McLarensville, isn't it? Yeah, they, they, haven't, um, they haven't put it into orbit yet. Although I'm sure if Ron Dennis was still in charge, he'd be looking at that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was the first win in Papaya since 1969 for McLaren. So Wow. Yeah, more fifty more than fifty years since they won in their uh, more than sixty years. What's no, it's not fifty years. Fifty? Where am I? Fifty years? What am I saying? Since <laughs> yeah. they won in their original livery, the um, second longest wait was the second longest wait as well in terms of race. Well, that, that we run yesterday was it was the second longest wait between wins for a team that was continuously present in that period. So, for instance, Mercedes went from nineteen fifty five. To 2012 without winning, but they they were they weren't in F1 as a constructor for most of that. Yeah. Um, for this, McLaren have been there the whole time and haven't won a race. The only longer wait was Ligier when they went between Canada 81 and Monaco 1996. And in their case, um, Ligier was sold um, at the start of the following season, and of course they never won another Grand Prix. That was the last one. So I'm sure McLaren will be hoping they win a few more. That that's not a flash in the pan, but also. The fact that it's the first one-two since 2010 as well. Um, yeah, it's a refreshing change. And, of course, the, f- the first one-two of this season as well. Staggeringly, yeah. I was David very Coulthard surprised by that stat. <laughs> yeah, and that wasn't mine. David Coulthard <laughs> outstatted me on that one by observing that it was the first one-two of the season. Um, 
But yes, indeed, it was. Probably have one. We'll probably have one twos all the way through the end of the season. There, we might have annoyed Mercedes. <laughs> it's also staggering when you consider that uh, was it McLaren are the second most winningest team. I, I hate Formula that word. One. Winningest. Sort <laughs> yourself out. They've won yes, the they're the second most they're... amount of races. Yes, they're the second on the all-time wins table. But yeah, and... winless for nine years. Yeah, crazy how they managed to retain that, even though, you know, over the last nine years, Mercedes and Red Bull and everybody else have had to uh, go at wins. Yeah, it, it is. It is astonishing that it took this long, um, and and it's funny they've done a big sort of big lap of Formula One, going from Mercedes to going you know, Vodafone, McLaren, Mercedes, and Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton leaves. The next season, they don't get on the podium. Then they lose Vodafone. Then the next season, they ditch McLaren. They ditch Mercedes for Honda, and Alonso comes in, and the whole thing is an unmitigated disaster. Um, and then Ron Dennis is out, uh, and then um, they, they get the Renault power plant. It's still not necessarily better. I still think they're overstretching themselves in terms of what they're trying to achieve with the chassis and so on. You know, because for years, because was when they had Honda. It was always the it was always the um, the the criticism du jour was oh it's Honda's fault it must yeah. be Honda so when they switched to the Renault power plant it was well now you know you keep being told they're in the apex they're just as quick as Red Bull okay well now they've got the same power unit oh look they're not as fast what do you know <laughs> turns out that was all bollocks and actually maybe McLaren had more than a hand in their own downfall so. Um, it was a complete reset. And what they ended up doing was going back where they worked best, which was with Mercedes. And look where we are now. Uh, and it, it, the Ocon victory in Hungary was a fluke. You can't look at it any other way. You know, a bowling ball came down the track and bowled most of the competitors out. And it missed Ocon. And that left Ocon in the lead. In this instance, Ricardo had the luck in that Botas had a penalty, a grid penalty. And Hamilton made a bad start in the sprint. And that's what got him onto the front row. But once he was on the front row, he outdragged Verstappen off the line. And then, as I mentioned at the start, was inconveniently quick enough that he could keep Verstappen behind him. If it had been Ocon, for instance, in the lead, Verstappen would have passed him. That car's not fast enough. But McLaren are now quick enough. They get track position. They can actually consolidate. Um, yeah, I mean... Chris, I remember, I remember you saying this one um, many years ago, where in order to win a Grand Prix, you've got to go as slow as possible to be first. Well, you've got, to, you've got to be as slow as possible, as fast as possible. I can't remember what the saying was, but yeah. you got to go, I yeah. Think, get, you're thinking of what, what Juan Manuel Fangio says. The, the, the objective is to win the race at the slowest possible speed. Yeah. Which is, that's as succinct as it gets. That really is true. I think with the with these days of passing being a lot harder, that um, that is truer now than it's ever been, really. Especially on some yeah, circuits it, where passing is impossible. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was ever thus, and, and the thing is, is you know, there's a, there's always there's a sense that you want to build a little bit of an advantage because you want to make sure you can cover a safety car and so on. Um, but gone are the days where you want to be a minute up the road. 
you know, when it used to have in the 80s. Because you knew, you knew, in the 80s, you knew, okay, there's no safety cars. If I'm a minute up the road, then great. If I, because then if I lose second and third gear, I might still hang on to this. No one does that anymore. Now it's just no. potter around, you know, get, get out of DRS range, get five or six seconds up the road. So you've got enough there, you can't be undercut. Um, and, you know, barring horrible turn of luck with deployment of a safety car at the wrong moment, um, or mm. a virtual safety car even, uh, you're laughing, you've got it. Yeah, I have a really vivid memory of the, I think it's Damon Hill's first win, the 93 Hungarian Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, when um, I think he lapped everybody except Patrese, who was second, and then just coasted around behind Patrese for ages. My uncle came in the room and was just like, oh, it's Hill second. I was like, no, he's leading. Patrese is second. <laughs> right. Yeah. I remember that race too, because it was Prost all on the grid. Prost was in pole position. Yeah. And Prost all on the formation lap, so we had to start at the back. Um, so that left an open goal for Damon Hill. And of course, in 93. I mean, there was no car that get remotely close to Williams. Some people thought Mercedes were dominant in recent years. <laughs> you obviously didn't live through that era. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, Williams were miles and miles and miles ahead of everybody back then. Um, it was ridiculous. With, it, with the exception, the only thing that ever made a half a race of it was the fact that we had Michael Schumacher and Elliott Senna on the grid at the same time. In fact, you, your mention of Hungary 93 has caused me to pull up the grid from that race. Prost and Hill were on the front row. Schumacher was six tenths behind. Senna was fourth on the grid. Fourth on the grid, 1.8 seconds behind. No way. Wow. God. That's so, mad. So Senna, whoever on deifies, of course, 1.8 seconds away from pole. Couldn't get, couldn't get close to them. Um, and that's not the worst offender. Um, since, since I'm on the subject, let me pull up another... <laughs> A few bits and bobs from history here. Let's go uh, here. Brazil, 1992. Senna's third on the grid, 2.1 seconds behind Mansell. Um, <laughs> um, Brazil's not a long circuit either, is it? Let's it's be not a long circuit. No. 70, it's 75 seconds. Uh, let's go to Silverstone that year. Mansell's on pole. Uh, Patrese second, 1.9 seconds behind. Senna third, 2.7 seconds behind. Schumacher fourth, 3.1 seconds behind. Brundle, sixth on the grid, is four and a half seconds off pole. These days, <laughs> they wouldn't get it. You know, he, yeah, almost outside 107%, and he's sixth on the grid. So, yeah, we, it's really, when I listen to people whinge about, oh, well, it's, it's all, it's so predictable these days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wind the clock back. Remember back, yeah. in the good old, back in the good old days when, you know, yeah. they were three, three seconds apart in the top five. Mm. <laughs> anyway, and I, I, I assure you, I assure you, I will, I will attempt to make that my only grumpy old man um, reference for today uh, will be positive from here on. I'm really hoping you don't. That just means I'm going to be the one that does it. Well, I, I don't want to steal your act. <laughs> <laughs> Rose-tinted glasses, Sean. Rose-tinted glasses. Exactly. Exactly. So it turns into a four Yorkshireman sketch, doesn't it? <laughs> <coughs> Luxury. Uh, right, should we do the uh, do the team-by-team team thing? Um, we can try. We can try. <laughs> Um, we'll start with AlphaTauri because they didn't really happen. Yuki didn't start and Gasly complained and then pulled in two, three laps in? I think it might have actually been five. I think he might have got as far as five. He, he's classified, classified as doing three laps. Ah. So he uh, probably pulled in at the end of lap three. Um, but um, yeah, what um, a... very very slow ones at that. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a great day for them, was it? To say that it's 
you know, one of no. their home races and one that they've won twice, I think, probably. An unmitigated not, not disaster. Yeah. An unmitigated yeah. disaster for a team that has won the Italian Grand Prix as many times as Red Bull has won the Italian Grand Prix. They're very rare. Very rare you can say that. In fact, no other race can you say that the, the system at Red Bull team has won it as often as the Red Bull team. Um, but yeah, I actually have been meaning to, I haven't looked it up yet, but uh, that, that will be close to the worst day in the history of the team, going back to when they were Minardi. Uh, they managed three laps combined between the two yeah. of them. So, yeah. A DNS and a, and a DNF after three laps is... is look at saying what we were saying before about looking back to the 90s that is that is like kind of late 80s early 90s team retirements yeah it is um of course back in the back in the minardi days of course you could add dnq and dnpq to that as well yeah exactly. in, terms yeah. Having, in terms of having both cars in the race i i off the top of my head i struggle to think of another instance where they had a worse day um i think i think i'm right i, I think i'm right in saying that germany 1994 both cars were out on the first lap so it has, I think Minardi have had that happen to them. Um, but I don't know the most recent instance of when this has happened. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to look that up for you. Okay, yeah. I'll get back to you. When, when we do the 400th episode, I'll have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> it might have happened again by then. They might have had a, a worse day at the office. True. Yeah, that is true. Take each other out going into the first call. Yeah, but nothing to really talk about with that team, is there? Former Toro Rosso, former Minardi. They were there. Uh, outfit. Yeah, they were around for a while. There is something with, with Alfa Tauri this weekend, and that is that Pierre Gasly, again, punched above his weight in conventional qualifying. He was sixth on the grid in conventional qualifying. It all went pear-shaped um, in sprint, of course, because he went off on the first lap. Yeah. So, um, you know, even that... <laughs> Even the sprint was a disaster for Alfatari. Um, you know, imagine doing imagine doing two races. We have, we can't call them both races, but they're really races. Imagine doing those two races in the same weekend. You only did three laps in both of them. I mean, that's really that's a real disaster. Do you know what? I think without even having to think too too hard about it, uh, I'm putting up Alfatari for um, a nomination for this week's Giovinazzi Participation Award. Yeah, but hang on a they second. Barely you, they barely participated. They were they were at the circuit. We've got to be careful about this because ever since Giovinazzi has noticed that his seat is up for grabs, he started to drive like Michael Schumacher. Yes, I saw a very good meme along those lines the other day. Yeah. <laughs> Do we start? Calling? Well, he didn't drive. He didn't drive like Schumacher in the race. He was only three seconds ahead of Kubica at the end, and you know Kubica is just filling in. Yeah. <laughs> On one lap, on one lap pace, he seems to have suddenly figured out which way is which way is up. <laughs> yeah, are they the next team or is it Haas that are next? No, to talk it's, about? it's Haas that are the next team because they had a DNF as well. Um, did. Yeah, and they ran into each other. Yes, um, once once again they're trying to kill each other. Talking of driving, yeah. like, talking it, of driving it's, like a, it's pretty much their standard race, though, isn't it? That's how they do their, their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a, re- yeah. saw a report earlier saying that um, Mazepin has now apologised to um, to Mick. But... I'm sorry, who? who who was that you said there? Gravel spin. Uh, I, I, I sounded like Mazepin. That like Diplodocus Diplodocus. How do you, you pr- how do you pronounce Marzipan? Mazepin. He's a, a Mazepin. 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 Yeah, let's call the it's whole like, thing off. It's like... <laughs> 
It's like Vettel Vettel, isn't it, from <laughs> way back when? Yeah, well, David Coulthard has that weird Vettel pronunciation, just like Mark Webber says Mercedes. I've always been fascinated. Like, where did that come from, Mark? Mercedes. Paul I've never De- heard anyone else call it Mercedes. Paul DeResta <laughs> always calls it Mercedes, which well, Mercedes. amuses me. And, like and Sean Connery. He called, he called mediums. <laughs> I said, I, I, I said um, during the normal Friday qualifying, I, I, I tweeted out, I don't know if you saw it, but I said I would, I would pay Paul the rest of money to go full Bill McLaren here and say, there's a better Shelly shallying into the second Lesmore. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. How much money sure. were you paying for this? I'm not sure if he would have laughed, but <laughs> maybe we'll find out when I next see him. <laughs> but anyway, yes, the Haas drivers who apparently are now friends again. Under order, probably under, under orders from uh, from Gunther. Hooray! And there was much rejoicing in the kingdom. They'll be they'll be dancing in the streets of Haas tonight. <laughs> but has he has he got a shatterproof door? That's the question we need to know. Yes. Did Mazepin not buy him one? I think is this what we decided his pronunciation is. Is this I, where we go? I'm just going with Mazepin. whatever takes the mood at the time. To be honest, he's not okay. listening, is he? He's got too much money. He's got something better to be doing than worrying about what we're saying about him. Well, indeed, and I do think that that influences things. In that, you know, they don't. I, I genuinely think that if it was Roman Grosjean, he might have been sacked by now. But you don't want to. But the thing is, you don't want to upset the paymaster general, and we know who that is at the moment. So, mm. um, yeah, I mean, Mazepin, who was a liability in F two, um, his his driving was over aggressive to the point of outright being dangerous. And it's a shame because he does actually have some talent, but uh, he, he, he tarnishes it with, with wrong displays of, of, of aggression. Um, I don't think he was necessarily aggressive in, in Monza. The, the collision between the two drivers was avoidable, but it wasn't terrible. Um, he was very aggressive on the first lap at Zandvoort, nearly putting Mick Schumacher in the pit wall. Um, but yeah, I, I, I haven't seen... I mean, the thing is, I'm... I'm I may have mentioned on the show in the past. I'm, I'm the jury's out for me on Mick Schumacher anyway. The man, I know he won. I know he won the F2 championship, um, but he, he has he has had the best equipment coming up. And I know that these are one make championships, but in these one make championships, some teams are more one make than others. And Mick Schumacher never qualified on the front row in his F2 career, and that's something I always think is is suspect. Like I, I don't see blistering speed from him in the way that I might have seen from. George Russell, for instance, or Charles Leclerc, who you could instantly say, you could see them first time, say, these guys are the real deal. I mean, they're really going places. I never saw that from Mick Schumacher. So, I, 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 yeah, I, they're just on the grid at the moment. I would give Haas the participation award because Alpha Tari, Gasly does things. Gasly is always, he's almost always in the top six. He's almost always in the fight, you know, and he's always getting good points and so on. Sonoda, when he's not swearing at his engineer, or getting knocked out in Q1, he's usually doing something of interest. The Haas guys are just kind of, eh, all the time. Especially this year. Mm. Especially this year. Yeah. Next year might be different. I know they're putting all, the, all their eggs in the basket of 2022, but yeah, uh, yeah this year, they, I mean, the Pet- Schumacher and Mazepin are just marking time at the moment. They're just showing up on Sundays and basically wasting their afternoon driving an F1 car. And also, um, Gasly not not wasting uh, not wasting any time, you know, answering the questions honestly in his in his presser on was that Thursday or Friday, when he said that um, he answered a question about do you, do you feel a bit harsh 
harshly done by that Perez has been given the seat for next year. Do you think it was maybe your chance to step up? <laughs> His response was something along the lines of, uh, yeah, especially when he's not doing very well on that car and I'm putting this car in uh, Q3 pretty much every week. Yeah, and, and the, I, I had said, when Gasly bombed out at Red Bull, I, I had said, wow, okay, that's not the Gasly I saw in, in GP2. Um, he was much better than that. It was not the ghastly we'd seen at Toro Rosso. Is somebody moving boxes in the back? Uh, it's it it's like the it. cat. The cat is shredding a box. It's, oh. it's, it's quite loud. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Bruno, Bruno. Sort yourself okay. out there. Might, it might, might be Nikita, Nikita Mazepin. Yeah. <laughs> he is sorting himself out. He's just sorting a box out in the process. He is about as destructive as Nikita Mazepin. Okay, so, okay, so we've all decided when it comes to the cat... Box this lap. Box this yes. lap. Ah. See, <laughs> you are welcome. Mazepin is up to six points on his license, so if he has another good weekend, he might need someone to fill in for him. So, the cat. Well, it's good It's good that they score points somewhere because he's got nowhere close to doing it actually <laughs> this is in the driver championship. Yeah, he's also, he's also 21st in a 20 driver championship. Also yes. true. Yeah. Um, yes, that's that's... That's the way it goes. <laughs> um, in that car, that's the way it goes. Yeah, pretty much. Anyway, where were we going before we got sidetracked by that box? Um, um, just finished talking about Haas, had we? Or yes. we... Yeah, well, I think we have. Completely undecided about Mick Schumacher. Uh, so we'll move on to Alfa Romeo. Um, Giovinazzi participated his way into 13th. And Kubica... One place ahead of Kubica. Yeah, one place ahead of Kubica, who was standing in 14th. See what I did there. Very nice. <laughs> Alfa Romeo, of course, holding all the cards for uh, the last remaining 2022 seat as well, which apparently they're going to decide once the F2 season's over. So they're waiting to see yeah, who has the super licence points. <laughs> well, there's that. It's smart, though. I mean, one of the complaints I've, I've heard about the F2 season is that we're only just halfway through it. You know, most the F the F2 season is sort of back-timed, if you like, it's, it's it, or, or back-loaded, I should say, not back-timed. It's backloaded so that most of it's happening at the end of the year in a way that's not normal. Normally, it's all packed into the European season and we do F2 and F3 on the same weekend. This year, we're alternating. So we've got F2 some weekends, F3 some weekends. So we're nearly over with F3. We've got one more six round to go. But with F2, we're only just halfway through. And that's unfortunate because if you're a driver like Oscar Piastri, for instance, who's in contention to win this championship and do what Leclerc and Russell did win F3, F2 back-to-back years. Yeah. You're not fully on the radar yet. You know, you haven't... It, people aren't looking at you and saying, well, Piastri's going to win the F2 championship this weekend. We should talk about F1 next year. And here we are, you know, we're halfway through the F2 season and there's one seat left in F1. So how do you, how do you break the hegemony of that? You know, someone asked me on Twitter... Next season, will it be the first season in history when there's no rookies, not a single new driver? And I thought, God, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, it's, it occurred to me, you know, like, like, thanks, Kimmy, for retiring and giving us a hope in hell's chance that maybe we'll get a rookie. But, um, yeah, I thought, I can't think of a season where we didn't have a rookie before. So they're right, they're right to wait for that. Personally, um, who would I put in the car? I mean, who are the contenders? You've got Bosis. Bosis is a great pickup for Alfa Romeo. You have to say, 
Yeah. For, mm-hmm. You know, it's a great pickup for Alfa Romeo and it's a great pickup for Ferrari. So you've got a guy there who's got five years' experience with a Mercedes power unit. He's now going to come to Ferrari and say, Mercedes, do it this way. That's great knowledge. So he'll come in very useful. Um, yeah. And also, and, Ferrari do, do end up in a spat, as I think they might do if they become more competitive. Leclerc or Sainz might have to, you know, not be in that team. Then Bottas is the perfect guy to sort of just step up and be there. Well, I, I wouldn't see a situation where Bottas would beat Leclerc. Um, no, because I, you know, I just had five years of Bottas having his ass handed to him by Hamilton, um, and there's no two ways about that. I know he was fastest. I know he's faster than Hamilton in qualifying this weekend, but you know, scoreboard. You know, he's always 100 points behind Hamilton at the end of the season. And last year, it was even with Hamilton missing a race. So that ship sailed a long time ago. But nonetheless, um, Bottas' experience is great. He does have very good speed. And I don't think he'll be phoning it in the way that Kimi has been. Who I thought Riken's been phoning this in for about five or six years now. Um, and somehow he, he's managed to make a career of it. I mean, good luck to him. Uh, but, you know... It's, it's like watching it's like it's like watching late model Robert De Niro films. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I hope. Who are the others? Um, I think Nick DeVries is out of the picture now. Mm-hmm. Guang Yuzhou is the favourite, isn't Guang, he? Yeah, because he's got all the money. Um, who else? You got Teo Porcher, um, Piastri. Um, I think did Kvyat get vaguely mentioned once upon a time as well? Kvyat was closer linked to Williams, but of course our Lord and Saviour Mahavir Ragunathan did have a test in Alfa Romeo at the same time as Pochet. When he was not even on the same bit of track. He was two and a half seconds a lap slower <laughs> while Pochet was driving with a broken collarbone. Broken arm, wasn't it? <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if he was two and a half seconds slower than Pochet if Pochet was driving with a blindfold on. <laughs> <laughs> He's not someone who should have been let near a race car, is he? Let's no, be honest. No. Well, if you're um, if you're messing around, wasting your afternoon with putting that idiot in the car, then you're not obviously serious about this. Um, I'm I'm sure he's a nice guy, but it, you know, there's he has no business being anywhere near an F1 car. He's he's done nothing at all at any point to show that he is even remotely qualified to, put, to, to operate at this level. Um, you, may as well, you might as well put me in the car. I mean, I'm a nice enough guy. You know, we don't, we don't, unfortunately, we don't hand out trophies based on whether they're nice guys or not. It's The stopwatch is the arbiter of that. And he's, uh, you need a few extra seconds on the stopwatch when he's in the car. I was going to say, you need more like timing with a sundial. <laughs> well, in some cases, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've got Alessio Deleda for that in F2 at the moment, anyway. Oh, Christ. Yeah, um, he, he, he's the poster child of uh, money over talent, certainly. Mm. Um, and uh, he probably, honestly, he flies under the radar. He, he's lucky he's a male driver, because, of course, like, Carmen Jordi used to be that in GP3 back in the day. Uh, he used to get a lot of attention. She used to get a lot of attention because she was a woman and a lot of attention because she was extraordinarily slow. Uh, and the letter can at least breathe a sigh of relief that he's a guy, so he completely just blends into the background. He's just another driver at the back of the grip, but he is astonishingly slow. And really, he has no business being in an, he had no business being an F3 car. I mean, he is completely useless. Um, yeah. I, sorry, home truth's coming out today. But... <laughs> Um, he I think we're all in agreement. 
Gonna say it was absolutely useless. Yeah, there's not not much argument going on uh, going on with us from that. But going up, going to the um, to the pointy end of F two. Yeah, it's uh, Joe uh, Pocher and Piastri with an outside chance, but he's definitely got Mark Webber lobbying for him seriously. Yeah, Schwartzman I think is still technically in contention as well. I think he's about third or fourth. Mm. Schwartzman would be worth a shake. I, I think he's got talent. Uh, he's he's never quite figured out qualifying, but. Um, yeah, I, I he, he personally does... prefer Schwartzman over Schumacher. I think, like long term, I think Schwartzman's probably going to have the better career. Yeah, if he gets but, the F one I mean, chance, Piastri probably. I I I take Piastri right now. Mm. Um, if I was if I was to pick one of the F two drivers, um, just because I always trust I trust my judgment when it comes to drivers who just show up and are instantly quick. As I mentioned before, with Leclerc and Russell. They got straight in the car, and straight away it was like, holy crap, where'd you find this guy? Um, I wouldn't say Piastri's quite in that league, but he is, I mean, he's leading the championship. So he's just won, uh, he just won F3 last year. So he's done everything he can do, or is doing. He hasn't won the championship yet, but you can't ask for more from the guy. So it's, um, you know, pole position this weekend and um, and the, the win in race three. Yeah, he's, he's doing it. So Piastri would be my going. Um, Porcher, Porcher is a. Uh, I mean, Porcher's in fashion right now, um, possibly because he is so young and doing really well. Uh, could it be a Max Verstappen type driver? You know, Verstappen didn't win a championship, but we've seen what he's done when he got to F one. That didn't. <laughs> we've seen. I think Red Bull have been justified in fast tracking him. Perhaps Porcher is in that in that department. That comes down to the nuance. I think you have to work with the drivers to really know what you're dealing with. Uh, so his results are okay. Maybe it's a little early. Um, but he could be a Verstappen one figure. And then Joe, jo, I think, is steady Eddie. Like, a bit like, it reminds me of Nicholas Latifi in that he is a steady peddler. He always brings a car home. Good points. Um... I mean, he went the longest time without a win. He had like 10 podiums with the first win. So uh, he's very good in that department. He's, he'd, be, he, he'd be great at somewhere like Haas, where, like, just bring the car home, don't stuff it in the barriers, unlike these other two clowns. Um, you know, Joe would be your man. Um, so, yeah, if he's, that's, got uh, that's all, my... if he's got all the money, why wouldn't Haas actually go for him over, like, a, well, what they've got at the moment? Well, has he got all the money? I don't know. I mean, he's now. Uh, what is he? He's an Alpine junior, isn't he? Yeah, thir- thirty um, million is the figure that keeps getting mentioned. He's got a Why big not? Chinese sponsor behind him, hasn't he? Yeah. Mm. Well, that won't hurt. It's um, all right, isn't it? It's thirty million's not not bad. It's, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. The one the one thing I do think is sad, and I know that this is not necessarily a fashionable point of view. Dan Tictum, he'd be brilliant in F one. <laughs> He would be brilliant. He'd be Why does no one within see... about three races. Why does no one see that Dan Tipton would be amazing in F1? He's Nigel Mansell. He, he's, <laughs> honestly, like, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I, I, I'm not exaggerating. This is not me grandstanding for the purpose of just making a podcast more entertaining. He is genuinely like Nigel Mansell. Um, he is so entertaining. It's, he has temper tantrums. He spits his dummy out, toys out the pram a lot. But he's also very competitive, and um, he's his own worst enemy. He's like Eric Cantona in racing, and 
You cannot deny, and I will not hear this from a Manchester United fan, you cannot deny that Eric Cantona was one of the greatest players in Manchester United history, even with his flaws. And Dan Tickton has that level of entertainment about him. I, was um, say, I don't think I've ever seen Nigel Mansell sing a song along the lines of Scooby Dooby Doo Patrese as Poo. <laughs> well, I haven't heard Eric Cantona sing that either, though. But you know, No, I don't think uh, so. <laughs> but the fact remains is that Dan Tickton is box office. You can't deny. He is far more entertaining than most of the relatively vanilla grid of drivers that we get these days who have all done all their media training and this, that, and the other. And then Enfant Terrible comes along. Um, <laughs> you know, the thing is, is it, it gives you an idea of the, of, the, of the nuance of different sports. If Dan Tickton was a UFC fighter, we'd all think he was amazing. We'd think he was Conor McGregor. But, you know, he's, a, he's unfortunately, he's trying to be an F1 driver, and it, it doesn't necessarily seem to fly with F1, which is such a shame, because I really do think he'd be, he'd be genuinely entertaining in F1. He, it, it draws parallel with Tommy Byrne. If you've ever seen the film The Greatest Racing Driver You Never Saw, Tommy Byrne, um, another great driver who probably ran his mouth off once too often and just wasn't the right fit, but a tremendous talent. And Dan Tickton's one of those guys. I don't think there could be two more polar opposite characters than Tickton and Bottas to be teammates. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would. If I was Mercedes, I'd be looking at it saying, hmm, you really want that guy in next to Lewis next year? Mm, probably not. But he'd be great, you know, some mid-table contender. Um, stick him in the Alfa Romeo. We've got to, we've got to make this happen, guys. Dan Tinton for Alfa Romeo next year. It'd be fantastic. If Jordan was still a going concern, it'd be perf- it'd have been perfect. He'd there. be brilliant at Jordan. You're right. Yeah, Dan Tinton with Jordan was the match made in heaven. Eddie Jordan would be like, this is brilliant. He runs his mouth off. We get headlines every day. Bernie would love him. I mean, Bernie... Bernie would be like, just keep running your mouth off, son. This is brilliant. We've never had so much interest. <laughs> and, of course, the other um, the other one that's up for Giovinazzi seat is Giovinazzi. Is he the new Raikkonen? Oh, He's the only one that can choice. replace himself. <laughs> Which is what we've been saying for the last couple of years. Couple? Well, mm. We've been doing this podcast for seven years. Well, no. Seven years ago, we were saying, how long has Kimi Raikkonen got in F1? He's finally retiring. Yeah, but now it's how long has Giovinazzi got in F1 and he's... Is Giovinazzi the one to replace Giovinazzi? <laughs> Only well, Alfa Romeo st- can know that. Yeah, I mean, he's stating his case, stating his case uh, pretty well uh, in the last couple of rounds, isn't he? Every, every, every Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit... Alfa Romeo is turning into a Williams in that it's capable of putting in a bit of a shock on a Saturday, but the race pace isn't there. Um so he is. He's certainly left. He's, he's he's picked a very good time of the year to start, you know, leaving his business card on Saturdays. That's for sure. Um, it won't hurt. But there's always a, there's, there's always the possibility that they might decide look, it's all gone a bit stale here. We're just tooling around trying to get a Q1 every week, um, and we've had enough of it. Even with the Q3, even with Q3 heroics, uh, we're still not really. Alpha may have not been close to being in the points on pure merit you know i know i know that they've picked up a point here and there but um it's not because of the race pace of the car it's usually because of track position and, and so forth so you know they might decide just to wipe the slate clean i can't say i can't say that being the worst worst idea i mean i know lee's very vocal about um not uh not liking him in the car, and and very vocal about liking Tictum, and, and very vocal about liking Tictum. 
Um, Kubica did a has done a good job standing in for the last couple of weeks, especially with the short notice. Um, previously, and then actually taking managing to take part in the race this time round. Um, I think they've, they've already more or less said that he's he's not in consideration for a seat because they're after a young driver. But it it would be a shame because I'd like to see him do a full season comeback in a slightly better car than the uh, than the previous Williams he was in. And of well, course, and of course, he wasn't last. He was not last. No, um, you know, there's the, he was rejoicing that Haas exists. Um, but you know, here, here the facts of the matter. Yes, Robert Kubica finished ahead of George Russell in the 2019 championship, but it was due to a very, very fortunate situation that the Alfa Romeos were penalised at Hockenheim. And George Russell, that was the one race where George Russell wanted slicks and he didn't get them. The team said no. And he ended up behind Kubica. And then all the Alfa Romeo's both got penalised and Kubica was promoted to 10th place and gave him a point. Which, from, you know, you look at the final standings, you'd be like, wow, Kubica beat Russell in the championship. Yeah, but it was really on a real heavy technicality there. If you look in qualifying, Russell beat him every single time. So, you know, I've, I've seen enough. In much the yeah. same way as I've seen enough of Hamilton and Botas. Yeah, I um, would agree with that sort of sentiment as well. That I think we've seen the best of Kubica, haven't we? He's not going to get any better, even if you put him in a in a better car. His his best days are sadly behind him now. Yeah, I mean, he obviously functionally is very very useful to a team. You know, they, I mean, Alfa Romeo wouldn't keep him around as wallpaper. He obviously is. A, is an asset to a team. But if you're looking for somebody to actually get you the, the big results now, it's, it's, he's not somewhere where I would look. You know, I'm, I'm thinking now, putting George Russell in a Mercedes. Now you've got George Russell and Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes. I mean, buckle up, because that's a really... That 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 might be... that That's as good of a driver lineup as we're going to see. I know we're going to get to Mercedes, but I, I would argue... There's an argument to be made that that's the greatest driver lineup since Prost and Senna. I know Russell hasn't won a race yet, but in time, we may judge it that way. Anyway, we'll, we'll come to that. Give it, give it a few more races, isn't it? and uh, we'll definitely see, him, uh, definitely see him on the top step. But it, it is actually Williams next. Um, definitely resurgent in the second half of the season. Um, scoring points on merit now on Sundays. Yeah, I mean, that was a... Like, what the hell? Like, George Russell wasn't supposed to score points at Monza, but he totally <laughs> did. Yeah, it's like the floodgates have opened. I mean, and Latifi was 11th. It wasn't like it was a one-man band. Latifi's getting in amongst it as well. And as I, I called, you know, I, I preferred to Latifi somewhat sideways as a steady Eddie, um, which I think he is. He's, like, he's, he's not crap, um, but he's also not Schumacher. You know, my Schumacher, that is. Uh, <laughs> so, um, not, not David. David's not, all not, right. Not, he's done all right in F3 this year. He's, he's improved. He had a yeah. shaky start. <laughs> Yeah, it's, that's, that's another note. You know, David Schumacher not scoring a point for a year and a half. Then suddenly he was on the race two pole in Austria, won the race. Now all of a sudden he's worked out what he's doing. And now suddenly he's turned into a Schumacher. It's like, whoa, whoa where was that for the last year and a half? What, what was a, must have been a crisis of confidence. Like all of a sudden we put you on the top step of the podium and you're laughing, you're away. Like, wow, what a difference today makes. Anyway, um, yes, Williams, scoring points on merit, as you said. It's really great that Williams are not the whipping boys anymore. Um because for years, I mean, for the last few years, they've been Tyrrell or Minardi in the 90s and not in a nice way. 
And so it's great that we can now start to look at Williams as being at least a mid-table proposition. George Russell getting to Q2 is no longer noteworthy. George Russell getting to Q3 is noteworthy. Um, Latifi getting into Q2 is no longer noteworthy. In fact, one of the, I think the first tweet I wrote after the checkered flag of yesterday's races, we just had McLaren finish 1-2. A couple of weeks ago, we had Williams on the front row and on the podium. The garage Easters are back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, this, this is this is the late 80s, early 90s all over again. My, my era. Almost, oh. yeah. It's, 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 it's nice. It's great that these two teams who have such a great history have con- contributed so much to the history of Formula 1 are now writing more of their own history as opposed to just making up the numbers. I mean, actually, um, actually, you can tell the late 80s and early 90s are back. I bought a copy of Appetite for Destruction on vinyl last weekend. Wow. <laughs> You're getting it on 8-track next. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, it cost a darn sight more than when I first bought it in 1987. <laughs> yeah, I bet it did. And you, and you didn't get it from our price either. <laughs> um, Virgin, Virgin Megastore, I think. <laughs> Not the, in eighty seven. Not, not in eighty seven. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, looking at the looking at the Williams performance, they, they definitely appear to be um, moving up. Sort of the further the further on in the season that we go, which could that be a worry that they're putting a little bit too much work into this current car, and next year's may take a bit of a hit. Um, the, there's a minor worry that. We have the financial regulations in play now. So if you finish bottom of the championship, you get more wind tunnel time. So there is a penalty, there's a mild penalty for actually doing well now, um, which previously benefited Williams because they sucked. But now they're doing quite well. It could even be that the first manifestation of those financial regulations are what's helping Williams because obviously they had a little bit more time, um, wind tunnel time than, than the Mercedes, for instance. So perhaps this is the first manifestation of those regulations making a difference to the grid. So um, I certainly hope it is because those, the financial regulations are, you know, they're revolutionary. We've never had those before. And I, I was hoping when they came into play that they would genuinely make a difference. And to see Williams get off the bottom uh, does suggest that there is some merit to that. Well, now, now of course, with the, uh, with the investment from Doralton, They've actually got the money that they can spend to reach the financial cap, because before they weren't even hitting that amount. I don't know their financial situation, um, but certainly it's great. Dalton have been very good so far. There's always the worry when you're dealing with venture capitalists, like what what's their true motive? Are they are they just coming here to sit on the investment, and, you know, just tool around at the back, or are they actually trying to be competitive? So far, we have our answer. So I hope it continues that way. Mm. Definitely. Uh, where are we next? Alpine, Ocon in 10th, Alonso in 8th. Coming off, coming off um, a previous win, um, Alpine are uh, still sort of punching above the weight. They're sort of steady, aren't they? They're just yeah. kind of steadily in the points. I think they had the big boss there this weekend as well, which I think is usually not a great omen for them. Mm. Who, who is the big boss these Can't days? Can't remember. Because the last one I remember Luke, was... Luke, you mean Luca de Mayo? Yes. Yes. Because the last one I remember yeah. was Carlos Gosen and his escaping cello case. Carlos Gosen. <laughs> silent, silent, silent S. Carlos Gosen. 
like like uh, in gone. Carlos gone, indeed. <laughs> yeah, smuggled. Carlos gone in sixty seconds. Yeah, smuggled smuggled out of his house in a cello case. <clears throat> right, I mean. Jeez, a cello case. Were they expecting to kidnap Pavarotti or something? Um, no, the story goes he was under house arrest in Japan, uh, but he was allowed to sort of carry on his life as normal. So he booked a um, chamber quartet to come and play at a party that he was throwing. And Hang on, does that not involve a double bass? Why would you be in the cello case? If you, you don't have a double bass in the chamber quartet. Do you not? No, okay. no, no. Why wouldn't you book a double bassist anyway for this? Because well, maybe, seems maybe like a... he was small enough to fit in the cello case. Because that's how they got him out of the house and got him out of Japan. Okay. Just feels like well, there anyways. are big, bigger <laughs> cases are available. It just seems, it seems a silly choice. Anyway, Alpine. Uh, yes. <laughs> I just, I, I just briefly reminded of when Jasper Carrot went through the, the story. Jasper Carrot tells about going through immigration in the U.S. and he brought a guitar with him in a guitar case. And the immigration officer said, what have we got in there? And he said, a mouth organ. <laughs> so, yes, Alpine. Um, we're, definitely, we're definitely seeing flashes of the old Alonso these days. Not the, not the broken McLaren Alonso. No, I mean, I, I don't think Alonso has necessarily changed. I mean, I, I don't think he was a different driver at McLaren. It was just a, that McLaren were failing in terms of delivering the car. And Alpine, I mean, Alpine's car isn't all that good. Let's be honest, it's not. Um, but Alonso's still Alonso's still Alonsoing. It's still and a as we saw, Renault, isn't it? Pretty much. At, well, as we saw, as we saw at Hungary, come the hour, Alonso still knows his way around the racetrack. That was a defensive masterclass that he put on Lewis Hamilton to keep what? him behind for that long in a car that had no right to be ahead of a Mercedes in that situation on new tyres. And Alonso kept him behind him for multiple laps. It was a joy to watch. I, I loved, Alonso, just... loved Alonso's comment after the race, saying uh, he's, Lewis was seemed to be driving a little wayward, so I thought I'd show him what the proper racing lines were. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and and still top draw shit housing after. 20 years <laughs> yeah. And at Zandvoort as well. At Zandvoort, his his drive just you know was spectacular. He clearly did his research. Um, Maybe an IndyCar. I saw that speculated about the banking and the best way to take it. And nobody was able to get anywhere near Alonso when he had that position. He made life difficult for everyone who came near him, uh, including his teammate. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else made a rub for their own back there because that high line had worked all weekend at Sandport. And Alonso just used that while all those cretins were using the low line for some apparent reason. He just went right around the outside of all of them. So (laughs) see you later, assholes. Um, so yeah, Alonso. I mean, Alonso's made a career of somehow conjuring a result out of nothing. It's a, it's always staggered me when you get late in the day and you look at the you look at the start time and scoring. You're like, hang on a minute, Alonso's up within seventh. When did that happen? I, I missed that. How's he yeah. ended up there? Um, yeah, he's he's brilliant at, at, at just finding a way to get a result out of anything. Um, all things equal going into 2022, Sean. Do you think that if all the teams are pretty closely matched with the new regulations, do you think Alonso's going to be one of the guys at the, at the sharp end of things, fighting for wins and a championship? My concern with Alonso would be single lap pace because Ocon's 
beaten him over the course of the season in qualifying, in the conventional qualifying format at least. Um, there can be no doubt that Alonso's racecraft is still among the very best. Um, the problem is, is that if you're not qualifying well, uh, how much are you going to get yeah. to use that? You know, how, how much can you recover from that situation in in the race? So this is normal. I mean, he's over forty now. Drivers over forty, as I've said, I, 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 the stat that's gone around the world. I've used this so yep. many times. One Grand Prix win for a forty-year-old in the last fifty years. It's it's normal that drivers have a drop off there, but drivers don't really drive F1 cars at the limit in the race anymore. You're driving to delta times and, and target times and so on. So um, Alonso can certainly do that. The problem is, is that when it re- when you really need to drop the hammer, can he still do that part? So that's that's the thing I'd be concerned about. I would love to see him do it though. I, I would really love Alonso to be the um, the anomaly at, at you know forty one next year winning races. I mean that would be spectacular. Yeah, the, the Tom Brady of F one. <laughs> yes, indeed, and and, it, and of course, if he ever wins a title again, he would be by far a record holder for the longest interval between titles. Oh, who holds that at the moment, by the way? Uh, Nicky Lauda. It was seven years between 77 and 84. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, I think, I think be, I'm right. So, yeah, he beat that quite considerably then. He'd, be, he'd double it. You know, he'd yeah. be 16 years. <laughs> I mean, some people don't have F1 careers that are 16 years. In fact, almost everybody doesn't have a, a F1 career of 16 years. <laughs> And he could win, if you imagine him winning championships 16 years apart, it would be just completely unprecedented. What's your, what's your thoughts on the, um, on the sprint qualifying now that, we've, uh, now that we've seen two of them? Well, you can't deny both Grand Prix have been very, very interesting. And much, uh, some of it at least has been created by the sprint format. What people don't remember about what happened at Silverstone, the collision on the first lap of the race was that it was born of the in, of the circumstances of the first lap of the sprint because Hamilton attempted an almost identical move on Verstappen on lap one of the sprint at Silverstone, except he went to the outside. He went to the outside of Cop Corner on Verstappen. Verstappen held his line. Hamilton didn't get him. He then spent the next 17 laps stuck in the dirty air, thinking, there's nothing I could do about this. I'm stuck. So Verstappen went into the Sunday race on pole position, Hamilton second. Hamilton got the same, the exact same run on him again into Cop's corner in the Grand Prix. So he thinks, this time I'm going to the inside. Because yesterday I tried the outside, it didn't work. So he went to the inside. Verstappen knew he was there, and all, they almost avoided contact. They almost got away with it. Unfortunately, the contact um, cut the cut the rear tire on Verstappen, and that's you know hilarity ensued. But it was born of what happened on Saturday. And that wouldn't have happened if Saturday the sprint hadn't happened, if it had just been normal qualifying. It may be in the Grand Prix, Hamilton goes to the outside, and they both carry on. Um, fast forward to Monza, and the sprint race, Hamilton makes a bad start, which he always does at Monza. That's the third time he's made a terrible start at Monza in his career. I don't know why he changed. He makes all his bad starts at Monza. Um, so... It's Ricardo isn't on the front row if we don't have a sprint. Ricardo's not quick enough. Of course, caveat: Botas has the power unit penalty. 
exit both Mercedes from the equation there. Suddenly, we've got a McLaren on the front row. And that McLaren, as I mentioned earlier, is inconveniently fast. It's not fast enough to win on its own, but it's, it's fast enough to get track position and hold that position. And Ricardo gets that into turn one. That doesn't happen if we don't have a sprint. So there are, I know some people are eh about the format, but there is evidence to suggest that it creates some anomalies that lead to very, very interesting races. And you cannot deny both the British Grand Prix and the Italian Grand Prix were memorable races, not just because Hamilton and Verstappen collided. You know, there are other, other, there are other things about it, but, um, you know, they're, 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 they're in, if, if you dig deep, you can see how it gently changes the perspective of the weekend in ways that normal qualifying would not have done. Yeah, 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 I see. I see what you mean there, because um, yeah, it it does it does mix things up, and maybe that's what's needed, rather than a more or less predictable grid order every single week. I think, and this isn't a disagreement with the sprint race at all whatsoever, but I think it's because you have a you're having a, a different race start. Race starts always throw up interesting. Um, combinations of, of of things that can happen, and if you've got a race start on a Saturday, and then not another race start until the Sunday, then yeah, of course you're going to have things slightly out of sync um, than you would have had if you just went from the Friday qualifying straight into a you know a normal full fifty whatever lap race. But it's the same when you've got two starts on a Sunday. If for whatever reason a race is red flagged and they line up on the grid again at the start. You get that level of excitement when you had, when you get two starts. Uh, I think that's what it is. Both the sprint races, I've noticed, not an awful lot happens after like the fourth, fifth lap. It pretty much they just all sort of just stay as they are. So it all happens in those early stages. So I think it's the race start really that that, that jumbles everything up. Not necessarily the fact that it's you know what is it a thirty percent of race distance. Um, I like the format, but I think it needs tweaking before it goes, you know, to all races. If if they do decide to do that for next year, personally, I think it should be worth more points because then that makes the yeah, I agree as well. That makes the risk reward better because at the moment you're in a you're in a situation where you've got a chance of making a pass. You can make a send. Um, if it goes wrong, you've ruined your entire weekend because you're going to go off and you're going to start at the back. And at, the, at best, you will be able to gain three world championship points. And not just more points as well, but I think a bit further down the order as well, because, again, if you're outside the top three, it's like, what's the point? Yeah, you know, I can, I can, gain, a, I can gain a position on the grid. Mm-hmm. Woo. If I don't bin it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All valid. I, I personally, I, I'm not keen on awarding more points for qualifying because... One day we'll have the championship decided by that, and it's just not great to attract everybody to a Grand Prix and then tell them, oh, by the way, uh, if you weren't here yesterday, the championship was decided. So, yeah, um, I didn't think about that. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not keen on that part. Um, but your criticisms of the sprint format are also valid, I think. Um, but one thing, there is one area where the sprint format is a runaway success, and that is Friday because it makes Friday an event again. Friday has always been, for, for most of the last 20 years, most of the last 26 years, in fact, it has, Friday's been a bit of a non-event, because there's, no, there's, nothing, there's nothing riding on it. 
And having a Friday qualifying session doesn't mean that we do get something that is the main event for Friday. But, like you say, is that, is it, is, is that enough to make Saturday's sprint? You know, the sprint, what I'm saying is, is the sprint format, clearly, great idea for a three-day three day weekend, but yeah. you are right that the sprint is not, that there are things that need to be changed. And Jack Nichols made a great point. These, these cars are designed to go 300 kilometers. And if you make them go 100 kilometers, they're not going to do anything because they're designed to be 300. So what do you expect? The, the tires are designed to go that far. The cars are designed to go a lot further. It's no big deal for them to do 100 kilometers. You're not going to get any fall off in, in, in pace and blah, blah, blah. What I do think would be great is you want it to be sprint. You want to emphasize the sprint element, right? Therefore, let's remove the fuel flow limit and let them use unlimited fuel. So now you have to run the engine in a completely different format to what you do in the Grand Prix, much as you used to do in the 80s when we had qualifying engines. Then you've got a, it's a whole, you know, you're completely redrawing the paradigm. Now there's no fuel, there's no flow limit. Use as much fuel as you want for half an hour. Hopefully that doesn't go against Formula 1 green credentials, but really, you know, the, the, the sprint race on, on, um, uh, Saturday at Monza was over in 27 minutes and 54 seconds. I think we can deal with dumping gasoline into an internal combustion unit for 27 minutes and, and, and have at it. Because the thing is, is then you've got, then you've got to operate the, the, um, the, you've got to operate the power unit in a, 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 a sphere of performance that it hasn't previously gone to. But, You've got to counterbalance that against thinking, is it worth us turning the boost up here and turning everything up, knowing that we're reducing the overall life of this power unit? At, at some point, we're going to pay for this. But it might be worth it to use it now to try and get one more position on the grid or you know, two more positions on the grid and make a much better race because we, we would see it, it increases the, the possibility of unreliability, not just in that event, but across the year. And it means we're watching something that we won't see on Sunday. The car is in a is, is working in a, a parameter that it doesn't operate in on Sunday. So it's something tangibly different. And that, in turn, would affect the tyres. Because if you're on the soft tyre, for instance, you're going to tear the soft tyre up a lot quicker because you've got a lot more power. Yeah. Never thought of that. That I think you, I think you've just fixed F1. <laughs> we keep we keep doing that on this show. Something... Formula you, Sean, you are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> if only you had an in. <laughs> I don't know. I, I that's what I keep saying. Like I don't understand. Why don't they? Why don't they call me? One day we'll cut to the stewards' room and I'll see your face in there, Sean. Won't I? Sat next to Michael Massey making all the big decisions. <laughs> yeah, and you'll have that look of like the the girl on the date. Being mansplained to, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, actually, I think you'll find it's Mazapin. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to um, back to the race, and we've got Aston Martin next. Um, Lance Stroll in a very creditable seventh, and Vettel in twelfth. Or does that mean twelve rounds? Because he took a pummeling from just about everybody. It was Stroll, wasn't it? Early doors that that basically punted him off the track in the Lesmos. I think everybody hit Vettel at some point. Yeah, true enough. <laughs> and I mean, 
credit to Lance Stroll. He is an absolute ringer around Monza. I don't know what it is about Monza that he's got figured out. But Straight every right. season, every season, he is brilliant at Monza. Um, his only Q3, there was a period of like 55 Grand Prix uh, between 2017 and 2019, where the only time he made Q3 was Monza 2017, Monza 2018, and Monza 2019, I think it was. Um, so, yeah, he's got something at Monza that the rest of them haven't. So it doesn't surprise me to see him uh, in the in with a good shout again this weekend. Then he got good points. Um, Stroll, who I continue to insist is a lot better than people will give him credit for, is you know, put it this way. My I think my wife said yes to me. Who would you take, Mazepin or Stroll? <laughs> Stroll any day. Um, yes, yeah, so that's an easy choice. Um, yeah, it, it's it's good to see. Them getting some good points there. Vettel, yeah, Vettel had a day to forget, didn't he? He was basically getting <laughs> getting biffed around all over the place. It's just one of those days. One, yeah. it, it, it was one of those days. There's always somebody in the punching bag in midfield, and it was Vettel's turn. Yeah, I mean, Stroll, Stroll hit him early on. I think um, Giovinazzi tagged him at one point, and I think the wrong bits are having a thing with him. Yeah, uh, Ocon definitely did, did as well. Sign? at one point probably i might have made that bit up i don't know nothing i think everybody was just everyone was just taking it out on him um i was surprised to read that he's not actually uh not actually co- uh confirmed for next year yet did that was there not some ridiculous rumor a while back that they were trying to sign alonso that got officially denied i thought when he joined aston martin i thought he was in for the future the projects and you know building of the team. I thought I, I believed he was signed up for multi years. Do we know yeah, that's what, what I thought. multi year means in F one? Though I thought multi year was always a very loose term and open inter- to interpretation. Yeah, you got a contract until January thirty first. That, that's a multi year deal because it goes into a bit of next year. I mean, he'll be fine. <laughs> let's be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any particular. Well, there can there, there can be. There can also be options on both sides. You know, it could be that there's a team option and a driver option to continue. So it could be just something like that. But so, yeah. no, I've, I'm, I haven't heard anything to suggest that he's not going to be in that car next year. Uh, it, it just seemed like very, very strange speculation that um, they hadn't been confirmed. I mean, I don't think Stroll has ever been confirmed at Aston Martin. He just arrives every year. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't see them getting rid of him for uh, for the next year or two. I, you know, I think, unless somebody takes him hostage. <clears throat> no, I mean, I, I, I the, the, the juxtapoint, the, the, the juxtaposition on that thing was um, when they had Perez and Vettel signed. You know, are you going to keep Perez instead of Stroll? And they didn't. So, <laughs> you know, Perez won a Grand Prix. So th- at that point, you know, like, okay, so... <laughs> Blood is thicker than water. Yeah, but, but, absolutely. Yeah. But as I keep saying, as I keep saying, Stroll is a lot better than people want to admit. So um, it, he's not—he's not wasting the seat. I mean, he just finished seventh, for God's sake. Yeah. He's not wasting that seat. He is doing good work. Um, so someday, someday he might get half half a credit for actually doing a good job, rather than being the son of the owner. Um, but it isn't happening soon. I mean, think of all think of all the half wits that we mentioned earlier, wasting seats in F two and F three. I mean, Stroll would absolutely blow the doors off those. I mean, he is he 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 is worth his spot in Formula One. That 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 debate is over. Yeah, I would I would probably say it is because he's he's actually proved it. Um, I think 
it's obvious that the main thing that people don't like about him is he's had the opportunity to prove it just because of who his family are. Um, yeah. But he's not come in pootled round at the back of the field for God knows how many races, um, been a liability, taken out his teammate, and then still claimed he's the best thing since sliced bread because um, he's got money. He has actually, you know, he has actually worked at it. Not working he at has, ha- uh, not working at having money. His dad seems to have done uh, done the majority of that. <laughs> but, sure. but you know, he's um, <clears throat> he's a better driver now than when he um, than when he came in, for certain. Yeah, pretty sure of that. I yeah. mean, probably all the drivers. Probably all the drivers would say they're better drivers than they were when they came in. Uh, you never stop learning, do you? Um, but it, it, it always staggers me that Stroll is often described or treated like an afterthought, and he's not that. Mm. Um, he he is he is legitimately worth his place. You might not say that he's in the Hamilton Verstappen um, genre of drivers but he is he, he is still very good and, and and let's put it this way i mean if he went off to another team i mean he would genuinely be an asset to that other team most likely if he if if, if he moved to you know alfatari for instance or something like that then he'd bring all the knowledge of the mercedes engine program and and, and what they've been doing blah 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 just like botus will have at alfa romeo so i mean if, if he's done all he can i mean he's 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 won titles. He's been he's been he's he's had moments of being very impressive. And Monza, as I said, what he well, I don't know what it is he knows about Monza that no one else has figured out. But he he's really every year Monza is is his place. He was actually he was actually a little bit below average in qualifying. He didn't make Q three. It's the first time he hadn't been in Q three in Monza. But he made up for it in the race by finishing seventh. So well done him. Mm. Uh, then we come to Ferrari next. Sainz in sixth, Leclerc in fourth. Um, probably, I suppose, what you'd expect Ferrari to be this season. Um, although not behind the cars you'd expect them to be behind. They are well, they were a lot better than they were last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. They, were, they were a lot better here in 2019, but we're not allowed to talk about that for fear of infringing their intellectual property. No. <laughs> that, would be a, that would be a real burn of... <laughs> Ooh. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm liking the Ferrari lineup this year, and I, th- I think this, they, these are good for a few years. And I, I, we know that Lee is not the biggest fan of Charles Leclerc. No, he's what, what, why not? About him. No one quite knows. He, he sees, he, he doesn't think, he's, he's not joined us tonight, but he doesn't think that uh, Charles Leclerc is as good as everyone makes out. And the only reason Charles Leclerc has done well is because he was in a Ferrari that cheated. Well, then how did he win the F3 and the F2 Charles back to back? I don't think that exactly, he acknowledges yeah. F2 or F3. And the, uh, the Alfa Romeo, uh, as well, the season that's uh, Alfa Sauber, which was, um, you know, pretty spectacular given what they were doing at the time. Yeah, he did a really good job. I've never known Leclerc to do a bad job. I don't know quite what more you want of a guy. You know, when Vettel was at Ferrari, he put Vettel in his place. Um, oh, yeah, but according to Lee, that was all down to Ferrari politics because Leclerc is their new boy. <laughs> sure, okay. Right. <laughs> That's usually how we react to, to Lee's Leclerc um, yeah. issues. 
That's the right reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's I, I, Charles Leclerc is a great driver, and if Ferrari become competitive, I'm sure he'll challenge for a world championship. The, he, nearly, uh, he nearly nicked a win at Silverstone. I mean, yeah, he got yeah. a couple of laps of winning that race. That's yeah. a pretty good guess. That's Alonso style at Ferrari there, almost nicking a win that you shouldn't have had. And also, uh, it, Monza this just past weekend, he was looking like he might steal a podium for a, for a couple of laps at least. Uh, obviously, it, it drifted away from him again, but it, he was there or thereabouts, you know, only a few seconds, few seconds behind. We're not talking, you know, oh, he's an entire pit stop behind the top three. Nope, he was right there. Yeah, he's, he's in that. He's almost in a little bit of no man's land, isn't he? Because he's not, it's not quite quick enough to be in the Hamilton Verstappen discussion, but he's quick enough to be ahead of the mid pack. So he's sort of, I actually. <laughs> bit of experience of this is um, for those who don't know, and we've discussed this before we come on the air, we did a, a multi-screen F1 watch party here in San Diego yesterday, where we had individual tables for Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull. Uh, so you could watch the race on the big screen, but at the same, but on your table were smaller screens, which had all the onboards and the unfiltered radio. And uh, from watching Leclerc's race early on, I remember thinking, well, he's just hanging out by himself. This is pretty dull. <laughs> it's, this is a really dull thing to watch because he's just tooling around by himself. There's no one behind him, and there's, and there's a long way to anyone in head, ahead of him. So it's not really very good, very good camera work. So we, um, this watch party was was a couple of hours after the race because the race happens at stupid o'clock here. So we did it at eleven in the morning. Just, so just, to, just to interrupt you, Sean, is that Stat Cat we can hear? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, yeah here. Here, I'll show you. Oh, well, I can show you. I show all, all of you, all of you watching at home. This <laughs> wonderful audio podcast can see him here. Um, <laughs> now, if you, if your if if your radio doesn't have a television screen attached, just imagine that you just saw a picture of a cat. Anyway, um, yes. Um, so Leclerc's, Leclerc's race early on was so boring. I decided that we'd start with Sainz's on board, which is far more entertaining because he bumped into Giovinazzi on the first lap. So I thought, yeah, this is way more. Let's put let's put sciences on board um, on that screen. Um, so yeah, he's, Leclerc, Leclerc's quick enough that he can get ahead of that, but he's not quite quick enough to be in the in in the mix up at the very sharp end, unless unless something spectacular happens, like he did at Silverstone. Do you think if Ferrari do become competitive again to the point where they can challenge for race wins? That they will have an issue with that driver lineup because I've long thought, ever since they announced Carlos Sainz at the beginning of. Uh, the 2020, the the truncated 2020 season, that it was um, it it could p- cause problems for Ferrari because Carlos Sainz isn't the kind of driver who will comfortably sit as a number two. Uh, he's got the talent. I think he's got the talent to match uh, Leclerc, um, and uh, you know it could it could prove a bit Senna, Prost, Hamilton, Rosberg at Ferrari. I don't know. I mean that's. That, that's pressure. That, that the, the pressure of championships can change relationships in ways that just tooling around for good points or the occasional podium does not. So we don't. That's an unknown yet. Um, Although Nico Rosberg says that him and Lewis have always been friends and never weren't friends. I do not believe Nico Rosberg on that. Yeah, that's in. That doesn't that doesn't tally with what I experienced. But, um, <laughs> it doesn't tally with what the world knows. No. <laughs> the glove yeah, throwing um, and the hat throwing and whatever but it, the fuck but else. But the fact you know, 
the fact is, is that that's that's the be all and end all of this entire sport. That's what you're here for. So it's understandable that relationships can become strained. Relationships become strained in 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 any business. What could if you're all there in the pursuit of a common goal? Well, not a common goal, but that you both have the same goal, but ultimately only one of you can get that. So um, this is it's normal. Mm. But, but but it's all the thing is is. Once it's all over, it's all water under the bridge. You know, you see these same drivers now. Now they're working as you know, TV, they were doing TV together. You think I remember when you two bastards ran into each other and you basically want to kill each other in the paddock afterwards. You know, <laughs> and now here you are laughing about it. It's, you know, it's just how it is. Yeah, absolutely. Although, yeah. although something tells me um, Hulkenberg and Ericsson will, uh, they won't be on each other's Christmas card list for a long time. You mean Hulkenberg and Magnussen? Sorry, Hulkenberg and Magnussen. The Suck My Balls incident. Yeah. I, that, I mean, to me, that sounds very pleasant. It sounds like, um, <laughs> wow, that's... You You really want him to do that? I mean, <laughs> you must you must really, really like him. Uh, <laughs> so that's why you got so close to me. Right, Exactly. While yeah. we're on that region and Ferrari, do we need to discuss whether or not Leclerc shit himself? I think he did, didn't he? Because Science <laughs> also said he it was must have something to do with Ferrari catering because Science did say on Sunday that he wasn't well either on Saturday. Uh, both Ferrari drivers were unwell on Saturday. Uh, Leclerc came in with the radio and said, "I cannot explain, but I need to box," uh, and then didn't go back out for the rest of the session. And then rumours were that he'd gone to see the team doctor. Yeah, I think Ferrari started that rumour because all of Twitter knew what I need to box and I can't say why, men. <laughs> yeah. He, needed, he either really needed to or he already had. This only coming one, right. week, on, this only coming one week on from um, Rosberg's admission of doing a little toilet. A disturbing way to describe it, incidentally, doing, I think it was sure, My Little Toilet. That. Yeah, because that was on, it was on Sky Sports coverage of Zandvoort. Nico Rosberg was doing the, the, the grid walk. And Badly. I've got to be honest, it was one, yeah, it was one of the most cringeworthy pieces of television uh, in relation to Formula One I've seen in a long time. Uh, Nico just decided to tell us, he's not allowed to talk to anyone on the grid because of COVID restrictions, but he just decided to tell us that in his early days at Williams, he would do a little toilet in the car before the race. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that? Ju- I thought maybe he just meant he was peeing. Yeah, I think. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what uh, Rosberg, Rosberg was definitely I, I, talking about peeing. But I, um, I still feel like you probably should go to the toilet. Well, I, I've known loads of drivers who've done that. That's that's not news. Um, it I'm was, surprised. It, it was just describe, if... it was describing it in the way that a five-year-old would. Though. That was that was that was the freaky part. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I I don't know how how embarrassing it is to articulate that in your second language. So I'll give him a, I'll give him a pass on that one. Yeah, but they're all Nico Rosberg's home language, aren't they? That, that yeah, is... You, this is true. Yeah. Also, you you, you would have it would, it would have been outrage if Nico Rosberg say used to piss myself in the car before the race. You know, Sky right. would have cut, cut him off straight away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you want the guy to say? It's like, well, if the belt went in the way, it would have been like two feet long. Bloody hell, it would have gone out of the car. <laughs> no, I don't think any F1 broadcasters ever got over Kimmy's I was having a shit and missed Pele. Yes, I remember that. I remember that incident famously. Yeah. 
Always, that was a good one. Always talk of Rosberg. I'm going to have to bust the anthem out at some point, aren't I? No. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> what anthem? The anthem of Rosbergia. With yeah. with Nico having raced under um, Finnish, German, and Monegasque flags at various points in his career, mm. we kind of did a mashup mix of all three anthems at once. It's not good. Not no. gonna lie. It sounds like somebody's thrown an orchestra down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very avant-garde then. <laughs> Yeah, there, there are certain certain clubs in um, in Europe who pay a fortune to listen to this. I, I I won't play it if you want. If you want to look back, it's on the twenty sixteen season review somewhere. Um, right, I think as usual we'll do Red Bull and Mercedes all in one giant yeah. pile up. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, uh, tell you we'll what, we'll start with Perez. I was going to say yeah. we'll, start, we'll start with Perez. Because... <laughs> he is possibly the least complicated of the four. <clears throat> All right, yeah, there. I'm struggling a bit. Um, iffy qualifying. Um, didn't do uh, again. Yeah, didn't do great in the sprint again. Um, finished third on track, but yeah. lost five. Lost five seconds. What was that? Was that an unsafe rejoin? Or... I think so. Or gaining an advantage while off track. It was one gaining of those went off, came back yeah. on at the wrong bit. Mm. Right. Um, yes. Yeah, not 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 a bad weekend. Could could have been better without that five second penalty. But um, he's he's getting to grips with the car a little bit better. But would Gasly be doing better in it? We no. never know. And his oh, fi- his be. his finning, finishing position was as well flattered by Verstappen and Hamilton not being ahead of him. I, I, I'm 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 telling you now, Gasly would not have done better because we've already seen. We've seen for three for three years since Ricardo left. That is what that car does, and yeah. we've just put we put a race winning driver in it, and it's still the same. Mm. So, as I've been advocating for years, something is institutionally wrong within Red Bull for the second driver to be struggling that way. It's not that the drivers are rubbish because you've seen the, the resurrection of Gasly's career at AlphaTauri. So, we know Perez has had ten years in this sport, and we've seen how he's. Fantastic at signaling in when there's, if there's half a chance, you, you know, he'd be a he's like the poacher's goal, you know, like you, he, he's like that. It's like if there's a half a chance, Perez will probably get on the podium. Uh, but yeah, even he's like, what can I do with it? You know, seven tenths of a second behind Verstappen again, just like always, just like whoever you put in the car. In that's a car that is built around him, though, isn't it? It's built around Verstappen. It's built for Max Verstappen. And it seems it's up, to be. Yeah, it's up yeah. to somebody else to adapt to that car rather than, oh, well, what would you like from this car? It's just, well, plug you in and do your best. Yeah, it, it's, it, it just seems to be the case. So, yeah, I'm telling you now, Gasly would not have done better. And it's not because gas. it's not because... I favour one driver or the other. It's 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 an institutional problem with that second Red Bull car. In the same way as it was at Benetton, the, 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 when when Benetton when Schumacher was winning the title at Benetton, the second driver in the car was on a hiding to nothing. And even when they put Johnny Herbert in the car, he was still two seconds a lap slower. I mean, I, I think I've mentioned on the show before at Hungary. I remember never forget at Hungary in 1995 when uh, Schumacher spun on his last qualifying lap. He did a complete 360 coming out of the last corner of the Hungara ring and carried on going straight and still crossed the line to set a time faster than Johnny Herbert's best time. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Like, are you seriously telling me that Johnny Herbert's two seconds a lap slower than Schumacher? I don't think so. Maybe a half second at tops, but two seconds a lap? Mm. There's something's really, really wrong there, which we can't identify. We'd have to be in the team to know that. Yeah, I mean, Red, Red Bull have always had a number one and number two driver, as famously quoted by Mark Webber. <laughs> When he did, not not bad for a number two. It's well, just... you say you say that you say that, but in 2014 they had another thing coming, didn't they? When Ricardo rocked up and smashed Vettel, mm. four-time world champion at that point. And yeah, I mean that was that was that was completely unexpected. But since it's become since it's become Max's team, has he got a driving style that is that far away from normal that they've got to build the car completely around him and it's un- practically undrivable for anyone else? So I don't think they're going to the same extent that Ferrari used to with whoever was make weight to Schumacher. You know, the Irvine, the Barrichello, the Massa. Yeah, well, there's another example. You know, Irvine at Ferrari, particularly in the first couple of years, really struggled to get anywhere close to Schumacher. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I'm out of, I feel like I'm out of my jurisdiction in, in trying to diagnose what the problem is there, other than to say yeah. just generically... It's not the driver. We know yeah. the driver's good. Or at least we know the driver is better than this lap time suggests. So mm. why aren't we getting the most out of it? But Perez is doing a Perez job at Red Bull. And, you know, very, as, as you say, sure, very few drivers would do a, a better job. But that's just the nature of that Red Bull. As you say, cross the line third, but then time penalty for, for leaving the circuit, which... I thought it was a little harsh, but understandable. Um, you know, left him left him where he was, and obviously ended up handing the points and the podium to Valtteri Bottas, which means that you know Mercedes ended up scoring more points than Red Bull. Yeah, and and of course, who was the last Red Bull driver to have that happen to him at Monza? Max, Max. Verstappen. Yeah, what position did he lose? Third, third place, yeah. Who who inherited third place? Valtteri Bottas. So, yeah, swings and roundabouts mm. happens to the best of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm putting it down as a good recovery drive from uh, from Bottas this week. Um, obviously, it was aided by the fact that he'd got an engine with um, next to zero mileage on it. Mm. So, so he could go um, he could go a little bit harder on there. Um, I mean, nineteenth to fourth on the road. You know, it's not it's not easy to do. And yeah, all right, he was passing slower cars, but then he got to the, as you put it earlier, inconveniently quick cars. Yeah. Um. Got by got by the Ferraris, and I think you know Perez's Red Bull was just just one step too far. It it does kind of balance out, but you you've still got to have the ability to actually make the move on the cars that you may be faster than and get past them. About three quarters of the way into this Grand Prix, I tweeted, imagine being Valtteri Bottas heroically winning a Grand Prix from 19th on the grid, and he gets out of the car, and all the reaction is, no, why did you beat the McLarens? We were going to have an amazing result. <laughs> I mean, that would be just the most bogus thing that could happen to him. Yeah, I mean, he was on fast tyres, wasn't he, after that safety car? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I thought he was bringing himself into contention just before that happened. Uh, then obviously Mercedes boxed him under the safety car, put the mediums on, which meant he should have been a bit quicker. Obviously, it was a little bit early for the mediums, so he did have to do a bit of tire management. 
um, which meant he's, he just didn't have the pace to pass Perez on track and go after the McLarens. But had that safety car been, I don't know, 10 laps later, could have been a totally different race for Bottas. He could he, he could have won that race and, like you just said, Sean, ruined every McLaren fan's dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to whom it may yeah. concern, stop throwing fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it, it was it was it was a good drive, but um, it, it should be a good drive in that car, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you should be doing that. And if you put Hamilton Verstappen in the equation, you know, he both just finishes fifth on the road. So it's a uh, that that that's a par score for for a Mercedes. Yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad he didn't win, but you know, it was kind of a. Redemption for um, for taking the uh, taking the power unit penalty. And I would say this: he was very good in qualifying, of course, in conventional and sprint. Yes. Um, so he did remind the world that hey, you know, maybe I didn't beat Lewis, but I, I do have more than a turn of speed in me. I'm not I'm not useless. I am I am an asset, and that that, that part we can't argue. Absolutely, he, is, he will yeah. be. He'll be. He'll be a big asset for Romeo. Yeah, um, it'd be so, a, bit, a bit of freedom, and I think you know, not not necessarily being a number two driver to a seven-time world champion, but you yeah, know, and you know, yeah. but no, I mean, we might see like a redemption, like we've seen with Pierre Gasly, perhaps. Yeah, when he gets out, when he gets out from underneath, bless you, one Charlie, that was a big one. Um, <laughs> uh, vape, vape induced, I think this one. Mm. Uh, well, well, you get what you deserve there. Um, <laughs> with with Botas, with Botas moving to Alfa Romeo, perhaps Alfa Romeo are going to be good next year, and we'll see him. He'll be the inconveniently quick one. Perhaps he'll be the one qualifying in the top six. You know, on a on yeah, a, maybe you know, a, on a, a regular basis. You know, so that could be good for his career because you say Botas is sixth in Alfa Romeo. It's far more impressive than saying Botas is on the front row of Mercedes, but he's behind Hamilton again. Because mm, he's expected to be on the front row in a Mercedes because that's the, Exa- exactly. that is the fastest car. Exactly. The only person you've got to beat there is, is Lewis. Although they, I, I would say this season, of course, now you've got a major problem trying to beat Verstappen. Mm. Uh, right now, move on to the uh, the incident of the week: the three silly mm. twerps. The big joke being, there's only two of them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you got to get three a twerps, one twerp short again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I liked your tweet yesterday when somebody asked if. Um, you know, if the FIA or the stewards could step in and your reply about if these knuckleheads won't do anything when they've had these two crashes, who can tell them? Yes, let me read, for those who don't know, let me read verbatim what I wrote. I said, if these two knuckleheads can't understand that concept, after one has gone into the barriers at 170 mile an hour at Cops, the other has had a Formula One car land on his head, there's nothing stewards can say to them that will change things. Have at it, guys. Work it out for yourselves. You yeah. should both know by this point that this is not messing around. You know, mm. even at forty miles an hour at the first chicane at Monza, you should still be killed. So yeah. bear that in mind. Yeah, thank goodness for the halo for a start, because you know that that rear wheel was down on Lewis Hamilton's head, um, not for a long time, but for long enough that you know it gave Lewis a bit of a stiff neck. But, yeah, well, it doesn't need to be uh, the wheel of a Formula One car with no. the whole Formula One car attached to it. Doesn't need to be on your head for very long to do serious damage, does it? Not at all. Um, and uh, it, I, I've seen incidents like that in the past before the Halo came out, 
and we were so lucky. There was one incident in GP2 in Barcelona, and I think it was, I think it was Alvaro Parente and Lucas de Grassi. And it was very similar like that because the car, the rear wheels collided and the, the car vaulted over the top of the other one and the rear wheel landed on the cockpit. And it looked really bad. Like, oh, this is, this is, don't yeah. show a close up, you know? Yeah. Um, and everyone was all right. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, my God, it's a miracle. How did he get out of that? And it just so happened that the, the, the wheel came down. You know, the, the, the wheel came down around the helmet. It didn't land on the helmet. So, like, wow, you're close enough to feel the exhaust gases coming out of that car, but you were all right. Whew, that was a, yeah. that was a near miss. Whereas yesterday, of course, it came down directly on Hamilton's head. If that, that halo wasn't there, he'd be dead. Yeah. As fried, as fried chicken. Um, but he wasn't, thank God, because... At, at, uh, we all we were all we all thought the halo would look ugly, but we all kind of got used to it now. No one no one mentions the halo unless it saves someone's life, which is like, kind of the point. It definitely saved Roman Grosjean's life in the uh, animations that I've seen of the Grosjean incident when his car went through the barrier and the ba- and the halo essentially lifted part of the barrier up and over the car. You know, if that would have gone into his head, yeah, he would have he would have died instantly. Yes. Yeah, he would have done. We, we've had so many other examples. To those, to those out there who are younger listeners, younger F1 fans, I mean, we've had so many incidents where we were so lucky to escape a fatality, even before the halo came in. And then we've had these two incidents in quick succession where, okay, well, he was a great guy. We'll really miss him. And somehow they've emerged and you just think, Wow, that's incredible. That is, I mean, it's a miracle you got out of that. Yeah. So yeah, we can absolutely. all, we, you know, we can all look at the halo. It's funny that the halo looks very sexy when you think of all the drivers who've been saved. You know, Roman Grosjean is still on this earth. Lewis Hamilton's still here. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the first the first near miss we had was Leclerc, of course, when Alonso went vaulting over in Spa on the first lap. Yeah. Oh, um, of course. So, yeah. Yeah. So th- th- we've had these several examples now where you think. But I can't say for certain. Well, in the Leclerc, say, in the Leclerc place, you couldn't say for certain that it would save his life. We're absolutely certain in the Grosjean situation, and it seems highly, highly likely that it, it saved Lewis Hamilton yesterday. So long live the halo. Mm. Absolutely. Definitely. But moving on from the safety aspect, how do you? How do we all view the view the? The incident is it? Is it a racing incident? Is it? Is anybody proportionately to blame more than the other? Obviously, the stewards think so because they give a max a penalty for the next race. Um, do we think that's fair, or do we think it's a bit stupid, or what's everyone's thoughts on that? Mine is. I think they're now as bad as each other. I mean, I said I said this after Silverstone where. Verstappen is usually the one who puts his car in a position where the other driver has to make a decision if they're going to back out or not because it'll be, you know, his attitude is, I'm not backing out, you will have to move or there'll be a crash. And on lap one, Lewis backed out when Verstappen left next to no room going into um, going into the second chicane. However, Lewis didn't, um, Lewis didn't back out and I think he had a bit more of uh, a bit more of the line and was slightly ahead. 
Max still put the car there. Lewis didn't get out of his way. Um, yeah. Didn't, you know, there wasn't a gap, but Lewis had already committed to the corner. They couldn't, you know, he couldn't leave a gap. Max wasn't going to take the shortcut or um, go across the sausage curbs, which... So you have an accident. Yeah, which in retrospect would have been a better idea. Yeah. You know, a damaged floor or a ruined race. And I'm more inclined to say it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other, but it shouldn't have got to that situation anyway. Yeah, I think I think similar. I think the crash itself is close to a 50-50, but Verstappen had the better opportunity to avoid it than Hamilton. Whether or not it's his job to avoid an accident is another debate, but it, it well, could have been avoided. Yeah, and I think going back to what Sean said before about what happened at Silverstone, um, about lap one on the sprint, Hamilton went around the outside at Cops and it didn't work. Look at the amount of times... And and I, and I am basically getting this information from people who, who I saw on on Twitter yesterday after the race. Look at the amount of times that Verstappen and Hamilton have come wheel to wheel this season. Uh, Imola comes to mind. Hamilton had to back out and go over the curbs, otherwise it was going to be a crash. And the uh, first lap of the Italian Grand Prix yesterday yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hamilton back, Hamilton backed out, otherwise they were going to make contact and crash. Every time that uh, Hamilton gets squeezed, he tends to back out. Whether that's an experience thing or just you know he'd rather uh, you know live and live to fight another day. We've seen it twice where where Verstappen gets a little bit squeezed and doesn't back down, and there's been an accident both times. I know that there's a lot of people out there who hate Lewis Hamilton, who cannot stand the guy, hate his guts even, and the, the inconvenient truth for them is. Hamilton has a career of fairly clean driving. I, I, I struggle to think of particular incidents where I thought, "Wow, that was that was pretty that was pretty minor league what he did there." You know, he he doesn't swerve over on drivers. He doesn't drive them off the road. Doesn't do anything like that. Um, and as you say, I mean, Alonso, Alonso Hamilton obviously worked out early in his career that doing stuff like that is conducive to not scoring any points and you don't yeah. win championships that way. And this season, more than most in his championship winning career, is, is going to be about getting every point. So, in my opinion, it was a racing incident. I think that if that sausage curve is a little bit lower, if it's not quite as harsh, Ham, you know, Verstappen avoids that incident. The, the curb kind of spat him into Hamilton. Hamilton gave him just enough room and he didn't give him an inch more than he needed, but he got it. He did give him enough. Um, and Verstappen, I don't think, was expecting to bounce over that curb in such a manner that it would take him. If he thought he was going to go into Hamilton, he might have thought it would be, you know, front wheel against side pod, a little bit of rubbing his racing sort of stuff, but not bouncing, but, but, but onto the top of the car. Um, so I think the penalty, I don't think the penalty was justified. I think I, 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 I completely. I, I reject this notion that we have these days that we have to forensically analyze every single racing incident and decide apportion blame and so on. Yeah. This is the most this is the most important single moment of the entire race. And both of them knew whoever got out of that corner ahead was going to stay ahead until the end. Because they couldn't pass a McLaren for a start. So we knew, okay, you guys once once this bit's over, those are the positions you're going to finish in. One of you's going to be ahead of the other. So I totally understand why both of them being so aggressive at that exact moment of the race. But they weren't being overly aggressive. 
They weren't doing anything that was out of order compared to any other lap of the Grand Prix. But they both knew the importance of that moment. I don't think a penalty is justified at all. I don't think he, I don't think Max should have been given a penalty. I think the penalty is that he didn't score any points. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I, I guess there are people who could say that, you know, well, he made sure that Lewis Hamilton didn't score any points and so he should have a penalty. Well, you know, he couldn't have known that the, the Hamilton would also go out of that race. He could quite easily have bounced over Hamilton and Hamilton carried on. You know, the, nobody... And, and Hamilton, did, Hamilton nearly did. Yeah, he tried. Reverse out. <laughs> yeah. Um, which also brings me to another point, which is why did Verstappen not check to see Hamilton was okay? Uh, Hamilton had it in reverse. He was trying to get back in the Grand Prix. You don't need to check if the driver's all right if he's trying to get back in the Grand Prix. We've obviously yeah. established he's doing just fine. Verstappen yeah. has ears. He can hear the engine going. He doesn't need yeah. to check. Are you all right? Oh, you've got it in reverse. Okay, fine, carry on. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think... I don't think it was deliberate because I don't think any driver deliberately tries, you know, tries to crash somebody out of a race. Not in this day in Formula One because it's so, it's so risky that you can put yourself out of the race and the other guy could carry on, especially in a championship situation. I mean, we know full well what happened in Adelaide '94. That's that's many years ago now, and you know, in a totally different era of Formula One. Um, but yeah, I don't think Verstappen and Hamilton are those kind of drivers who will uh, deliberately try and put the other guy out of the race. So that's why I don't think it's uh, a penalty is particularly is particularly justified. I do, however, think that, um, and I've berated Toto Wolff a lot on this podcast lately, but I think he was quite sensible in what he said after the race. Um, I don't want to let the I don't want to let the um, I don't want to influence the stewards too much by saying anything in the media before they've made their decision, uh, but I do think it might have been a tactical foul in order to make sure Lewis didn't score any more points, and that's all I'm going to say on it until the until the stewards make their decision. So, yeah, difficult I one. Think, I think, as far as I'm concerned, NASCAR drivers put this situation best when they just say, hey, one of them racing deals right there. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'll do do the same back to him at the next race in NASCAR. (laughs) I hope. Well, you see that then. Then it's egregious. Then it's like you are so out of order. You can kill somebody. You know, don't forget that. Um, But to, I I didn't see anything yesterday that I thought, "Wow, that was dirty driving," or "That was stupid driving." It wasn't. It was just no. It was just just championships on championships on the line, and they just bumped into each other. That was it. Yeah. It wasn't, as I say, like Adelaide '94, where I, you know, regardless of what anyone says, I still believe Michael Schumacher came across the track just to stop Damon Hill from getting past. Well, he totally did. I mean, he checked his mirrors before he did it, so yeah, he absolutely did. <laughs> Check, watch the replay. He checks his mirrors and turns in. So, I mean, what, yeah. was, he, what was he checking? His, was he checking his freaking haircut? I mean, you know, absolutely not. No. Well, no, he couldn't have been. He had the same hairstyle all the time. He was in F1 and afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not in the beginning. When he came into Formula One, he definitely had the he definitely had the makings of a post West Germany mullet. He did have a bit of a mullet, thankfully, didn't he? A bit of a curly mullet. Yeah, thankfully he got rid of that quickly. <laughs> before he ended up before he ended up in an Opus tribute band. Which I appreciate <laughs> and I appreciate I appreciate for the connoisseurs out there that Opus are Austrian, but still work with me on this. <laughs> I was gonna go low rent scorpions, but That too. Yeah. <laughs> um I mean we've had a 
needless to say, we've had um, we've had a few tweets on the issue. Not actually apportioning blame, but um, just commenting on the fact that um, F1 needs to get away from the blame culture. And why are the media making out that it's um, got to be somebody's fault and they're pinning the fans against each other just to create drama and unnecessary tension from one race to the next? <clears throat> and that, you know, that that is... That is that is a sensible question because in this new social media friendly age of F one post Bernie, they're trying to. It just seems like they're trying to um, set up rivalries between drivers that don't maybe don't exist, and that just carries over into the fans. And I think it might just be. Are, are, they, are, they, are they necessarily trying to ramp this up? I mean, I think the the drama is all happening organically right now. They don't, the, the work's being done for them. Yeah, I think they're, they're they're trying to sell TV revenue, you know, TV revenue and and, and getting eyes on screens, aren't they? By saying, look at the drama that's going on in in this sport right now between these two guys. Because outside of F one, if you're not an F one fan, you you're gonna know Lewis Hamilton. Some people might even now know who Max Verstappen is. Um. So yeah, I can I can see why they're they're using it, you know, to their advantage. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to see, you know, you know, deliberately pitting fans against one another. That seems a bit. Um... Oh, the Sky are definitely getting good value out of the um, Christian versus Toto show. I'm I'm just waiting for their first pay per view bout. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrity but, death match. Yeah, when, when well, as, as I said, as I said to you earlier, in the heat of battle, these things happen. You know, I'm sure Toto and Christian at the end of the season will probably have a glass. And, and laugh about it. Well, maybe not the end of this season, but maybe, you know, a few years from now. <laughs> but it's yeah, all under the bridge, isn't it? I think, Paul, you said they were talking, you, you were saying about um, trying to create a rivalry that doesn't exist, but I think it does this year, doesn't it? Because the championship has been back and forth. It is a lot closer than we've seen. Mm. And it is drivers from two different teams, so that, that rivalry is there. Possibly not in the way it's sort of playing out at the minute, but there is that, you know, two tribes. Yeah. Uh, I think Sky are going a little bit OTT on it as well. Only one of these will come out. <laughs> no, it's well, bear in mind, bear in mind, and full disclosure, of course, I'm paid by Sky, so you know I'm not going to not going to trash my employer. But Sky have a Formula One channel, so it is it is incumbent upon them to produce enough content to fill an entire channel. They don't right. just have a two-hour right. broadcasting block; they have to fill hours upon hours. So inevitably, you're going to micro-analyse things in ways that Channel 4 would not, because they just don't have the time. Yeah, I guess. And, and and this is why we get the Johnny Herbert story at least three times a weekend. We haven't had it for a while. They've been, they've been very good about that lately. They've stopped showing that and they've stopped showing Inside Williams. Yeah, but... Johnny yeah. Herbert story. Yeah, there's, there's there's like a story where they talk about um, Johnny Herbert and his rise to Formula 1 and the terrible accident that he had. Um, it's really interesting his... about the first two or three times you see it, but I think they made but, it about four years ago, and it's been a regular ever since. Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, nobody, nobody else is going to make that kind of content. Mm. You know, yeah, yes, it does get a bit too much when you've seen it, you know, for the fifth or sixth time. Um, when you know, just waiting between between actual programs, but 
that nobody else was going to put the money in to make that kind of um, you know program about the, the history of Formula One. Remember when Sky F1 started, they had um, Steve Ryder, and he was interviewing the greats of, of Formula One, and those interviews were fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed listening to Mika Hakkinen on on um, you know on this balcony at Monaco, talking about the old times where you know memories of of his racing, but you know. Th- you can't create enough content for it all to be new all the time. And I do, I don't see anything wrong with Sky or Formula One in general using the Verstappen Hamilton battle as natural drama to try and sell, you know, try and sell their product, try and get eyes on screens, try and get, um, you know, subscriptions to, to websites, etc. It's, it's, it's natural. You're going to watch it because something like what happened on Sunday might happen again. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I didn't. We also have to bear in mind the Twitter era has made everybody hypersensitive to everything. <laughs> you know, it's not possible now to just let things slide. You have to pick it apart and and have arguments. Pick, with pick your side. And we have to have arguments with people who aren't necessarily well versed on the subject. Um, you know, to me, I, at the time, I just thought, hey, one of them racing deals right there, and you move on. <laughs> and that's what I still think. I thought that at Silverstone as well. It's something for the drivers to sort out themselves. One of them did not punt the other off on purpose. It was no. Two, two drivers going for the world championship, knowing full well, look, if I get into contact, these are open wheel cars, if I get into contact with the other guy, it could knock me out, but it might not, might not affect him. I can't afford a collision. And they still ended up colliding. So, yeah. you know, swings and roundabouts. Mm. It'll just be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out for them too because I really hope this championship battle goes down to the last race because we need that. Mm. It'd be good drama. <laughs> yeah, we do need that. And, and hopefully we won't have sprint qualifying on the last Grand Prix of the season because we could have the title decided as a consequence. Mm, cause, <laughs> yeah, because there is going to be one more sprint qualifying this season at a flyaway race, but they've not actually announced which one it is. It Isn't be- it Brazil? Yeah, but is Brazil definitely yeah. a go? Not yet. I don't know. Um, don't know if Bra- Brazil's not safe, is it? Nor is is Mexico. Is Mexico a doubt as well? I think Mexico no looks one's... more certain than Brazil. Brazil is very questionable. No one's no one's told me anything yet. Um, <laughs> I, I think then, I think but... the only the only race that is guaranteed to go ahead is the Grand Prix of TBA. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think Austin will happen. And in fact, I would do sprint qualifying in Austin because then it makes Austin a three-day weekend. Bahrain will yeah, happen because they never have event. crowds anyway, so it's not a problem. Yeah, true. What's that, sorry? Bahrain will happen because they never have particularly big crowds you mean, anyway. You mean Abu Dhabi? We've already had Bahrain. We already have had Bahrain, haven't we? I'm going mad. Yeah. 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 The squirrel well, was it, being it, talked about as a potential <laughs> replacement race, wasn't it? But, yes, uh, that's true. Qatar yeah. could happen. Qatar yeah. would be fun. We could have... Yeah, Qatar would be um, you know, another uh, geographically very convenient. Uh, we never raced there before, um, and obviously they have F one standard facilities. So mm-hmm. yeah, what's not to love? Um, it does tend to throw up a good Moto GP Qatar. Yeah, well, most Moto GP races are good, aren't they? <laughs> this is true. Yeah, fair, <laughs> fair point. And of course, it would be a secondary home race for McLaren. 
Uh, yeah, I guess so. Wait, wait, wait Qatar. No, wait, Bahrain. Bahrain. Oh, no, Bahrain. sorry, it's Bahrain. Where oh, come is, on, people. It? Stop confusing Bahrain yeah. and Qatar. <laughs> yeah. you've, got, you've got me started now. Yeah, throw, throw, throw a dart at a map of the Middle East and it'll land, it'll land on a racing circuit somewhere. Um, but it does leave us with McLaren. Mm. Um, first McLaren win in nine years and first McLaren 1-2 win 11. Is that... I'm, that is accurate. You were paying attention to the broadcast we did yesterday. Then. I was. <laughs> it's just so hard to yeah. believe. It is, and it isn't. Um, I feel like it's been coming for a while, hasn't it? That we've we've known for a little while that if something just falls a little bit weird and McLaren are having a good weekend, they could be there. But I mean, not the, for Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, the, that's Daniel true. Ricardo. What I'm saying is the win isn't hard to believe. What is hard to believe is it's been that long since it happened. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it, for, for a while it wasn't hard to believe. It probably, it, you could say that, you know, Ocon's win was complete bolt out of the blue in Hungary and mm-hmm. it was extenuating circumstances. McLaren have been knocking on the door for a while. They've had uh, podiums this season. They had podiums last year. Um, they really come out of the doldrums um, post Alonso, so they've been. Up there. I mean, they had front, they've already had front row starts this year, so it wasn't a surprise in the way that Alpine, Alpine's victory was. Um, so yeah, it, it's not. It, it's it's been a long time coming, and it, it still needed Red Bull and Mercedes to mess it up. But once they had track position, they weren't going to give it up. And, uh, and Norris, did, I mean Norris, you could argue Norris did the better job. Ricardo made the start, which made the difference. But after that, he had clean air. Norris yeah. is in dirty air and still ended up finishing second. So, you know, there's an argument to say that Norris had a better day. I did expect Norris to beat Ricardo on race pace because that's how it's been all season. And in a, tweet, in a tweet, I do a, I do a segment called Questions, Quips and Queries before the start of the Grand Prix on Twitter. And people just ask me anything. And somebody asked me about the pace of McLaren and do you think Norris will beat Ricardo? And I said, well, I expect that to happen. But if McLaren are running 2-3... Or better still, one two, and Ricardo's ahead. I don't think McLaren will want them racing, and and so it transpired, and you know, now they banked forty three points out of it and got out of it. So good good luck to them. <clears throat> yeah, I mean the start that uh, the start that Ricardo made was, um, you know, that, that was fantastic. He just had he just had that car pointing in the right direction and completely pinned. Um, I was a little bit. I was a little bit surprised he got a better start than Verstappen because Verstappen is normally one of the better starters on the grid. I should think Verstappen was surprised that Ricardo got a better start than him as well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it wasn't even a toe, was it? Really, it was a side by side, straight drag race down to turn one, and Ricardo mm. just he just got the better start. Yep, <laughs> simple as that. Yeah, got got up got up to speed faster and. Done and I mean, yeah, the put uh, both McLarens um, were strong all the all the way through. I'm I'm not used to the McLaren strong all the way through one two combination. Mm. Well, no, I mean <laughs> we've been doing this podcast as you said now for for nearly seven years. We set the website up seven years ago today. It, it is our seventh, then, official seventh birthday. Yeah, and it was before the following season that we the the 2015 season that we started doing the podcast. Um, so all that time, 
We've been we've literally watched the evolution of McLaren through this podcast, where we've been so disappointed that McLaren were the first team on the list because they were the last team. You know, they Jensen Button and Fernando Alonso getting sixty five place grid penalties for you know replacing all their parts and you know then still blowing up on lap two. And you know, oh maybe Hungary will be a turning point for them because Alonso finishes like in the points and we all have a, a, bit, a bit of a dance because yeah, McLaren are on their way back. No nope, total false dawn. There's another, <laughs> however many years till McLaren would start getting their way back. And just like you said before, Sean, the Renault thing didn't quite work out for them, but they edged closer and closer and closer, got some good results in their last year with Renault. And then they switched to, to Mercedes and it's just, it's clicked for them, totally clicked for them. And it's yeah, M- McLaren are for this week at least back on top, and that sounds and feels right. It it's, it feels old fashioned to say McLaren won too. I must say, mm. uh, and Williams on the front row, like <laughs> yeah, that. Got back yeah. In time, but, yeah. Last couple it, of races, nice. yeah. It is nice that these the garage easters are not dead in the water yet. They can still teach these works teams a few things. <laughs> good, good, and and so it should be as well. Because it shouldn't all be about works teams, but yeah, um, we've all thought that Lando Norris would be the first one to to win a race for McLaren in in their current guys. Um, but no, c- congratulations to Danny Rick as well. I mean, we, everybody knows that Danny Rick knows how to win races, so it shouldn't really have been a surprise that once he was out front, that he knew how to control that pace because he's done it. What was it? What was it his eighth win? He's done it seven times before in the Red Bull. So yeah. yeah, so you know he, he's almost a veteran of race wins. You know, okay, it's only eighth win, but eight more than anyone yeah. on this podcast right this minute. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and Lando finishing second was almost a disappointment, but he still has best finish in Formula One. He's never finished second before, so it's, no, it's surprisingly he hasn't. Yeah, fantastic weekend all round for McLaren. Uh, their redemption from their ridiculous decision in hindsight to go to, to Honda engines, which of course wasn't just the only problem, is, is now totally redeemed. They've rebuilt the entire team, restructured it with personnel, totally different personnel, and rebuilt the race team to where they are now, race winners. Yeah, and everybody lives happily ever after. <laughs> and I might just go out and buy a Fredo to celebrate. Why not? <laughs> um, right, I think we will have to go through a race like that. It definitely needs um, rock stars and wankers. Ooh. Having some serious, serious thought. Obviously, McLaren rock stars. Yes. Halo rock star. Yeah. Mm. Undoubtedly. Um. Somebody suggested George Russell for points and a Williams yet again. Yeah, no, absolutely. points as well. Just yeah, sort of... it flew under the radar. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, go for that. Yeah. Um, David Coulthard gets a nomination for Wanker. For being a Heineken <laughs> ambassador. For wife in particular? Um, for, asking, <laughs> for asking Bottas about the crash rather than about his good performance. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, fair, actually. I, I, yeah. I actually... Yeah, yeah. I, I, that sat very uncomfortably with me. Like, wh- why are we asking Botus about this? As if he gives a shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, why did you ask a Finn for an opinion? <laughs> <laughs> 
And why was he surprised that someone with the surname Ricardo could speak Italian? <laughs> I'm surprised that he didn't know. Um, <laughs> when, because I've heard Ricardo speak Italian many times. I, so I, I, I think it comes time. up about once a year. Usually yeah. round, usually <laughs> round about this time. Yeah. Um, I was very surprised that they, they didn't appear to know this. <laughs> Any other suggestions? No, I don't like think so. I feel like there should so. be, but I can't. I can't think of any. Alpha Tauri, maybe, for for not doing anything. I mean, it's totally not their fault, but I mean, <laughs> it's I, a bad performance. I, th- I think that. I think that could, some. I was going to say that could be the non-participation yeah. award. Yeah, <laughs> you could also say the sprint qualifying format. I know I, I don't share the opinion, but I know some people think it's awful. So maybe maybe you should just throw that in just as a default. Sausage curbs. Sausage curbs, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Green well, penalties for Max Verstappen. That's definitely wankers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's, well, yeah, it's going to do something for the next race, isn't it? Absolutely. It doesn't matter where Max qualifies. He can only do a best of fourth. Um, but was it two years ago or three years ago now where we saw Sausage Curb at Monza launch an F2 car into the fencing? Oh, it, no, it was an, was F- an F3 oh, that was, car. It was, it was Alex Peroni who Alex I think Peroni. broke his back yeah. in the process. You see, now I thought maybe they they looked at Sausage Curbs after that and would have not removed all of them, but maybe lowered the height of them and taken them away from being that close to the circuit because they are literally the other side of the rumble strip there mm. yeah that, that was only the know. that was only the one sausage curb on the parabolica or the michele alboreto parabolica that was the uh, curb grande renamed. wasn't it where he where he went where no um, uh, yeah, f3 man no, it was parabolica, parabolica so, it? Parabolica. he ended up nearly on the banking or oh, as wow, okay. um or as the race put it in their article i saw the alex alban parabolica before they hastily corrected it <laughs> The Alex Alban Parabolic. <laughs> what? Sorry, it wasn't the race. It was race fans. It was uh, Keith Collins' site. <laughs> That's a little bit yeah, embarrassing. What? How did that? How? how? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where someone's typing the article and they wanted to type Michele Alboreto, but somebody said in their ear something about Alex Alban, uh-huh. so it became right. the Alex Alban. <laughs> it must have been it. Like. If he'd, if he'd been speaking to me at that moment, it would have been the Pierre Carlo Ginzani parabolic. <laughs> wow. Does that mean they're going to rename the uh, the Varianti Ascari, the Varianti Padoa? Because I remember he had a, an interesting accident there in a Minardi some years ago. Yeah, qualifying in 95, Saturday afternoon, I remember that. Yeah, um, when it went upside down. Yeah, he went speared off to the right. Raikkonen had the same crash there in 07 um, in FP3. Um mm. He didn't, he didn't roll the car, but he went massively. He didn't roll the car, but he went into the barriers down at the end there, pretty high speed, big, big crash, which a lot of people don't remember he had. No, I don't um, remember that, but I do remember the Badoa incident. The Badoa one I remember because he rolled it. He did a nice well, 360-degree roll back onto the, mm. not onto the wheels, because the wheels had gone by that point, but <laughs> the right way up. He ended the right way up. And still Ferrari, some years later, went, yeah, we'll have him. <laughs> oh, he was a lot better. He was F three thousand champion. He was a lot better than people thought he was. <laughs> was like Lance Stroll? Yeah, he was. It just you know, Ferrari, the, the, that Ferrari replacement thing in 09 killed his career. You know, and it, and it killed Fisichella's career as well when he tried it. He had the same problem. 
If we were naming corners after people who'd had spectacular crashes at them, imagine how many corners would be named after Maldonado. Uh, there'd be straights named after Maldonado. Not <laughs> <laughs> oh, and to answer, to answer your tweet, the last Sean, the last time a corner was named uh, renamed mid race weekend was 2019 in Austria when Turn One at the Red Bull Ring became the Nicky Lauda Curve on the Sunday. So now you know on the Sunday of the um, race weekend. Right, and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of which, as Lee's not around, I have been sent a who's a total shunt. Hooray! Uh, That's the only reason I agreed to appear on the show. <laughs> I get, I get the feeling, I get the feeling. This is, this is going to be one for Sean. Right? Sh- are you doing, are you doing a hard one and a normal? I'll one? do a hard one and a normal one. I'll do the, I'll do the difficult one for Sean first. Right. I mean, you two, you two. For Sean, I'm going to take part. I was going to say we'll play along, said... but we will be fuck all use. These things, they're all staggeringly esoteric. You always say it's you just never know. Like we get 18 clues into it, and I'm like, uh, um, is it Hamilton? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I just pulled, I just pulled out that Luca Badoa fact from from somewhere in the in the lower regions of my mind. So it could be something that I can recall. Yeah, right. I mean, I think Let's I go. worked out Bottas based on the strength of his coffee roast the other week. Right. All, all I'm saying is, good luck, guys. This, this is from um, Pete Lulkook. Who emailed it in okay. today? Actually, so oh. it's it's kind of okay. good, kind of good timing. So, clue one: I was born. Yep. In nineteen twenty-four. So a while ago. Yes. Ninety-seven years. Yes. Um, clue two: My is fa- it? Is it? it, it oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh, oh, oh. Why not? That's a guess. Oh, you, you, oh. N- normally after clue three, but if you want to have a go now, is it Alberto Ascari? It isn't. All right, now you can carry on. All right. <laughs> Clue two. My father was a baron, a doctor-in-law, and the managing director of a multinational industrial company. My mother was... A doctor-in-law. <laughs> a doctor... A doctor-in-law. Of law. Yes. Right. I'm, I'm just reading as he's written it. A, do- a doctor-in-law. doctor-in-law. <laughs> this is my doctor-in-law. <laughs> uh, my mother was the granddaughter of an inventor and founder of an industrial empire. I assume that was the grandfather. So, my father was a baron, a doctor-in-law, and the managing director of a multinational industrial company... My mother was the granddaughter of an inventor and founder of an industrial empire. So a baron. So are we, are we thinking somebody German? I don't know. You, I think you can get baron. Whatever the fuck it was. Is it a baron ship? I don't know. But I think you, I think they did exist in England at a time. It does feel like a more Germanic title. Yeah, it does. Um. Yep, can't help you. Next. Clue clue three. During World War II, I was active in the resistance, working with British secret army agents and later joined the SAS as a paratrooper. So not German. (laughs) Unlikely. Just (laughs) emphasising that point. (laughs) (laughs) Christopher Lee. No, he would be older than that, wouldn't he? And very unusual selection for three wheels, four wheels. May have done something with racing driver. Racing driver. He did. He did everything else in his life. So why not? Um, <laughs> I'm just going to keep this. Go- it- I'm just going to keep this going. Just Sean, throw a guess at it- whenever you want. <laughs> okay, is it a former Aston Villa striker Ian Ormondroy? It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, there's a name I haven't heard in at least 20 years. Uh, clue four. After the war, I studied ag- agricultural engineering. I had no interest in motorsport at all. My love for sport being horse racing and skiing. Horse racing and skiing? Is it? Uh, not uh, not is at it, the same time. That's, that's posh people sport, that is. I was going to say, is it um, Alfonso de Portago? And it isn't. Um, Clue five. I started my racing career at the age of 28. First in rallying, where I became a two-time national champion. Later in sports car racing, and then Formula One. (laughs) Well done, him. Um, My successes... Or her. Or her. We don't have established yet if it's a My successes in sports cars caught the eye of Enzo Ferrari, who decided to put me in his F1 team as a test driver, as well as in his sports car team. He was born in 27. 24. 24. 24. Mm. We can definitely hear your air now. <laughs> That's my brain venting. <laughs> Ferrari had four, four drivers, didn't they, who started their racing team. But I don't think any of them... I don't think any of them were British. The only Brit, the only British Formula One driver I can think of who would be uh, Ferrari, um, Ferrari link would be Mike Hawthorne. Mm. But he was a world I champion. He, he, he was. He, he, I, I think he was. He, he wasn't born that long ago. I don't think. He was young when he died, wasn't he? And he died not long after winning his title. But he died. Yeah. But he was fifty-eight mm-hmm. world champion. So that would have made him 30-something, wouldn't it? 30. So it's possible. Yeah. Possible, but I think that's too old for I don't think he was that old when he died. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, next, uh, next clue. I drove in Formula One from 1956 to 1961, mostly for Ferrari. I scored two podium finishes and 18 points in 14 Grand Prix. My best results were third and second in, privately entered, in a privately entered Cooper in the 1960 Belgium and French races, sharing the podium both times with Jack Brabham and Bruce McLaren. And that year I came sixth in the championship. 1960, Formula so One. Not, not Hawthorne. Now, now I should know this. Um, so, um, hang on. So, what were, the, what were those uh, Ferrari years, sorry? 46 to 51? 56 to 61. Sorry, 56 to 61. Yeah, mostly for Ferrari, but two podiums in a privately entered Cooper in 1960 in Belgium and France. Not Trevor Taylor, no? Nope. Um... Still, got, still got three more clues and a spaffer. And not... Not Olivier Jean de Bien. Well done. It is on the bounce. Yes. Right. Yeah, I got him already. Ah. <laughs> Clue seven. Um, would have gone on to say, during my racing career, I've been teammates with uh, Juan Manuel Fangio, Mike Hawthorne and Phil Hill, as well as other famous drivers such as Dan Gurney, Wolfgang von Tripps, Peter Collins, Tony Brooks, Lucien Bianchi and Maurice 
Trentignan? Trentignan. Thank you. My <laughs> um, biggest achievements were in endurance racing, scoring multiple victories in iconic races such as Sebring, the Nürburgring, and Le Mans. I also won three times at the Targa. Uh, I would have, I would have, I would have selected John Debian as my first guest there, but I thought the, the, the thing about World War Two made me think he was British. Was why I went for yeah, Trevor Taylor instead. Yeah. I thought Trevor Taylor was on the podium in a Lotus. Um, uh, you were misremembering that. It was in it was in World War Two, but he was in the Resistance. You not seen a lot of ah. <laughs> And I was a four-time Le Mans winner for almost twenty years. I held the record of most overall Le Mans victories until that record was broken in nineteen eighty-one by my fellow countryman. I was expecting you to get Jackie X. Yes, <laughs> that was a good one, Pete. You um, you almost you almost got it. You almost stumped Sean there. Do we want a normal, slightly um, less less historic one? Probably yes. Right, let's have a look. Um, we can all play along. Yeah, I think I've got... Uh, should have one here. Uh, where's this one from? Oh, no, we've done that one. Do you know what? I think I've, I think I've run oh it again. Oh, my God. It's I, fine. Just one, one total shunt is okay. Yeah, I think... <laughs> no, I, think, no, I, think, I want I think... the other one. I wanted. I came for the other one. Damn it! I want to hear the other one. <laughs> oh dear! Right. Okay. Um. Okay. Apparently... It's in there somewhere. Can you just talk amongst ourselves. How about uh, the pronunciation of Nikita Mazepin, guys? What do you think? <laughs> right. I. I have. I have found one actually. That, I'm going to start um... going with maze pin. <laughs> maze pin. Gravel spin. Mazepin. Yeah. Gra- <laughs> gravel spin. Right. And then, and then what we need to do is Nikita Mazepin needs to be on the show next week. And he needs to have a go at pronouncing your guys' names. Yeah, <laughs> that would absolutely. probably yeah. not go well for him. Uh, he'll probably just pay someone to do it. To be fair, <laughs> no, to be fair, his, his English is far better than my Russian. Does, did he not go to uni in England? Yeah, I think. He I does. think. I think he has studied in Britain. Yeah, he went to uni. He does, he does just speak excellent English. Went to uni in England and is sponsored by Moscow Uni. That's fine. Anyways. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on. Uh, Thomas Horrocks sent this one in in July last year, and it turned out I'd not done it on the re- off from the reserve list, so I'm going to do it now. Um, right. I was born. Yep. In the decade That's of... it? That's the whole thing? That was it. In the decade of great music. I mean, that's open to interpretation, is it not? It could have been the 17th century. It could have been the Baroque. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am from Sheffield. Okay. And clue, th- um, clue three, my father and brother were both racers. This is, uh, this is guessing okay. time. Uh, Jarvis Cocker. Surely he created mm. the decade of great music. You might be born in one as well, though. No? Uh, I guess. Uh, 60s, mm, bit naff. Um, right. Clue four. I began my career in Formula Palmer Audi. Ooh. Um, Formula Palmer Audi. Goodness me, I remember that. But I remember the TV show related to it as well. Yeah, about three o'clock, about three, was, three o'clock in the morning on ITV. Yeah, Jonathan Palmer would sit down with all the drivers afterwards and tell them what they'd done wrong. Oof, <laughs> that sounds fun. Um... Clue five. Like seemingly every other Brit, I won the BRDC Autosport Young Driver of the Year award and tested for McLaren. Hmm. And I have raced for the same team as Fernando Alonso, but not at the same time. And I'll need a guess. That's the whole thing. 
Um, no, there's still four more clues, but we do a guess every three. What's what's uh, what's your man who's who shared the uh, United Autosports seat? Although I suppose he was racing with Fernando Alonso, Phil wasn't he? Phil Hansen. He is from the south. Right, okay. Can't remember exactly where. But it's where United United Autosports always go on the piss. His dad owns a pub. Okay. Um, if my dad and my brother are a racer, could it be Will Palmer? It could no, be. He would, he, he would have been born in Horsham because that's, that's where they were based. Yeah, that's true. Not to be not to be completely exact about the place <laughs> of birth. But... This is true. <laughs> the Palmers of Horsham. <laughs> yes. It sounds like it's a hamper you'd get at Christmas, doesn't it? Palmers of Horsham. <laughs> or a spin-off of the Archers. Okay. <laughs> In which Jonathan Palmer sits or, down with everyone and tells them what they've done wrong. Yes. It sounds like an, sounds like an auction house to me. <laughs> Palmers of Horsham. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Uh, right, okay. My brother raced for the same team as Fernando Alonso, but not at the same time. Uh, my brother was also teammates with the father of a current F1 driver. And I once gave up my Indy 500 seat so someone else could drive at the request of the team for commercial reasons. Was it Fernando Alonso? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Alonso's coming up here a lot. Um, right. These are very person-specific Let me get the, the gene pool in order here. So... This person, right? This person has raced for the same team as Alonso. Their brother has raced for the same per- team as Alonso, and their dad. Their brother their was also brother teammates with the father of a current team- F1 driver. Fucking hell! It's giving me a headache. Mm. Yeah, um, they're not very. Really, they're not person specific. They're all clues around the person. Yeah, I've got a person specific. Yes. specific. <laughs> it's one someone not- who's not the most famous person in their gene pool. Uh, I've got a person-specific one for number 10. Oh. I led the Indy 500 until late on in 2018 and could have won it had fortune favoured me. Max Chilton. No. Oh. Who was it in 2018? There is a spaffer. And your spaffer clue is my brother died in 2015 in an accident at the Pocono Raceway. Stefan Wilson. God damn it. Yes. (laughs) The first clue I bought in Sheffield, the first person I thought of was Justin Wilson. I'm not making this up. The first Grand Prix I ever did in person was Indianapolis 03. And I was sat completely by, by chance with Justin Wilson after qualifying on the Saturday. And it was because he, he made his debut that year. And I, I'd said, we had a conversation about what it was like to be a Grand Prix driver, blah, blah, blah. Like an esoteric conversation, not, not to do with qualifying that itself. And I can't remember how we got onto it, but we ended up sitting there and trying to name every famous person we could from Sheffield. <laughs> and he, he, he come up with Phil Oakey and Michael Palin and um, uh, Joe Joe Elliott from Def Leppard, um, and then um, Mark Hughes, the journalist, came up with somebody. Who did he come up with? I can't remember who now. But yeah, we actually had me and Justin Wilson sat there and had a conversation yeah. and tried to name as many famous people as we did from Sheffield. So when you said Sheffield, my first thought naturally was Justin Wilson, and then he said Palmer Audi, 
And I thought, I thought he started in Vauxhall Junior, not Palmer Audi. I may be wrong, but it, it threw me off the scent. It's funny. <laughs> ah, it should have just... I, I would have been so close. I'd have still been wrong, of course, but I would have been so close with the first guess. Ah, you're, you, 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 were, you were only one relative removed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bummer. Well, if you want to send um, want to send a total shunt in, normally send them to Lee. You can um, get him on a Twitter or Instagram direct message at a total shunt. And if you want to get them to me for the reserve list, which is now too lighter than it was at the start of the evening... Um, drop us an email, three legs, four wheels at gmail.com, and you can use that address just to um, get in touch in general for everything, really. Uh, we're also on all the socials at three legs, four wheels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We've not gone down the road of getting a TikTok account yet, because I, I don't think we really do. I don't know what we'd do with it if we had one. Cat videos? We don't do much with the Instagram, to be fair, so... No, that's, that's true. We must start doing something like that again. We haven't used the YouTube account in ages. No, we need to update. do something about that too. Update, by the way, on the Justin Wilson situation. He did indeed race in Formula Vauxhall Junior in 95, as I had remembered, which predates his participation in Formula Palmer Audi by three years. So that's why I didn't think it was Justin Wilson. So I was <laughs> I, I was right to think. I, my memory was correct on that one. It's just that the clues threw me off the scent. Sean has outshunted the shunt. <laughs> Um, where was I going with this one? Oh yeah, Patreon. If you want to um, contribute to the show, keep us in um, hardware, software, hosting, microphone cables, and maybe the occasional packet of biscuits, go to patreon.com slash three legs, four wheels, donate anything from £1, $1 or €1. Euro. You get, the, get access to the show a little earlier. And uh, I think I'm going to stick a little extra treat on the end of the show for Patreon subscribers this week. And it involves Chris's feet. Well, my lower legs, what, what yeah. A, what a treat that is. Yeah. And if you want to get hold of us individually on Twitter, we are... At Sean Cowper. At Flood21. I'm at Pablo100. And Sean? At Virtual Statman. We'll be back next week for um, show 301. How the hell have we done 300 shows? <laughs> um, where we'll be, uh, we'll be looking forward to the Russian Grand Prix and... Um, See if there's any uh, see if there's any news going on. Until then, take care, stay safe, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.